Red Alert, Red Alert, Dovi and Ducati might actually do this. Welcome to Bike Live. Let's go! Yes, it's a warm welcome to episode 28 of Bike Live here on Motorsport 101 as we review a thrilling British Grand Prix weekend at Silverstone as Andrea Davizioso and Ducati produced another shock result in a season of upsets in MotoGP in 2017. A result that confirmed, if ever we had any doubts, that Andrea Davizioso and Ducati may well be the ones to beat for this World Championship in 2017. We will talk all about how Dovi did it uh, and the riders that he beat to do it, including Maverick Vinales, who took second place to build his championship hopes once again. Valentino Rossi appeared to have given his hopes a boost with a third place, but as you've probably heard since that Grand Prix weekend, his championship hopes may well have disappeared on their way to hospital. We'll talk all about that, the big breaking news of the week, at the end of this week's show. We'll also talk about how Maverick Vin- Marquez's hopes of a British Grand Prix victory disappeared in a cloud of smoke as the only Honda engine in motorsport not to blow up, blew up. Uh, and we'll also talk about all the other big stories as Takaki Nakagami marked his MotoGP promotion with a victory in Moto2 and how Aaron Canet and Anaya Bastianini gave Estrella Galicia their first 1-2 as a Moto3 team. We'll also talk about all the big moves in MotoGP as Thomas Luti finally gets his well-deserved MotoGP spot and Sam Lowe's goes the other way to fill his berth in Moto2. We'll also talk about the newest addition to the MotoGP calendar as we get set to head to Thailand in 2018. The second piece of bad news in Valentino Rossi's week. Joining me for this week's episode, episode 28, is Andre Harrison. Warm welcome, Dre. You're expecting someone else? <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Oh, we get Max back on here soon. But um, yeah, like, just hang back. Hi, everybody. And uh, yeah, this is this was a, well, relatively crazy um, weekend of high racing, but not in the ways I, I was expecting. And um, of course, like, we're very lucky. I mean, just, just a little behind the scenes one for you here. We only heard about the news regarding Valentino Rossi about an hour and a half ago before this actually went out. Uh, and as we're recording this now, it's it's roughly ten to ten on August thirty first. So that should that should give you an idea of you know how lucky we got on this one. If we recorded this an hour earlier, it will be breaking news in the middle of the show, yeah. and that would have, that would have been all that would have put the run list completely out of whack. But. Um, yeah, hey, well, us professional podcasters involving actual journalist Lewis Sodomy now. Go ask. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, uh, I attempted to masquerade as an actual journalist last weekend at Silverstone. Um, <laughs> I have to say, on a serious point, it's the fourth time I've been there now, and it still doesn't get old. Uh, it really doesn't. Anybody, and you know, just to be there as a fan, you've got it's just some, it's one of those you've got to go to. It's it was funny because they talked on BT Sport on the weekend. Um, Julian Ryder and Keith Ewing. So when I got home from from Silverstone on the Monday, I watched the Grand Prix again um, to sort of see if there was anything that I'd missed. Obviously, because we have the world feed in the media center, but we don't have commentary on it. Um, so we don't. Mm-hmm. We just literally hear the clean feed. We don't hear the world feed commentators. So it was the first time I'd actually watched the race with commentary over it. Um, and Keith and Jules talked about during the race how there appears to be real talk now at Silverstone of trying to make it a genuine MotoGP venue because it's essentially they're, they're racing around what is a Formula 1 venue um, and right. spectators in a lot of places are a long, long way um, from any kind of action and it's I'm not going to say it's a bad spectator experience but you can see why a lot of people pined for Donington so much um, because, they're, right. because they're a lot closer to the action there 
um, than they are at Silverstone. Um, but it appears that there are talks of Fort Mods GP to try and um, make that circuit a little bit more suitable in terms of what goes on for the spectators, make it a little bit more motorcycle racing friendly for, for spectators, which will be no bad thing. Because it's pretty clear, Dre, from last weekend, before we come on to the three races, that Silverstone never fails to produce great MotoGP racing. It is. It's it's it's, it's probably my favourite round of the year now, and no, no round on the calendar provides more guaranteed entertainment in Silverstone right now. And if anything, it makes double sense of Silverstone basically playing hardball regarding their Formula One future. And now they're going to be thinking. I mean, Silverstone's always been trying to get more events to take place at its venue because it just doesn't. It doesn't have enough motorsport to back it up over a calendar year. It's an F1 track, and the F1 race loses the money. So it would be kind of in their best interest to try and make it a bit more bike-friendly because we have a BSB round there, after all. It was one of the showdown rounds is down there. And, you know, MotoGP has done very well for themselves down there as a venue, and it's provided great... I've never had a fan go to Silverstone and tell me they've been disappointed. So it kind of says, look, they, they should really be going out of their way to make it a little bit more bike-friendly. Um, compared to what it is now, at least yeah. used to my I, mean, I mean, I think a lot of people, a lot of people, really do cape for Donington Park just because it is the traditional home of the British Motorcycle Grand Prix, uh, and, and, I, and I can totally understand that. But I think, I think a lot of I, you probably see this as well, Dre, because it happens a lot in Formula One with some of the great venues like Monza, topical as the host of uh, the next Formula One race this very weekend. Hey. Um, I think a lot of people talk up tradition for tradition's sake. Um, and it's a case of, well, yeah, traditions are well and good, but if there is a better alternative, then let's go with it. And and I, and I truly believe that, I mean, I've been to both venues. I haven't been to Donington for a motorcycle event. I've only been there for touring cars. But um, for me, Silverstone is, it's just a better venue. It's a better, it produces a better Grand Prix spectacle. I mean, the racing right. there is fantastic. So, um, I mean, last year's race was brilliant. The race the year before that was brilliant, although that was largely down to rain than the actual circuit. And we've had some brilliant Marquez-Lorenzo battles over the years, haven't we, as well at Silverstone. Absolutely. There hasn't really been a bad MotoGP race at this venue um, since it dropped on the calendar when Donington pulled out uh, in 2009. Um, it certainly um, had more great British Grand Prix than uh, the Circuit of Wales will ever have. Boom, boom. Um, but anyway, um, let's uh, less spoke and about that, the better. Let's talk then about what actually did happen last weekend um, at Silverstone. Um, but before we do that, the places you can find us, starting on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash motorsport101. On Twitter, we are at motorsport underscore 101. Um, our YouTube channel, where you can uh, still find the uh, stream of this week's episode, more on that in a second, youtube.com forward slash motorsport101, episode 101, um, was live on there earlier this week. Um, our website is motorsport101.net, and if you like us so much that you want to back us financially and earn yourself early access to this show and indeed to motorsport101, head to patreon.com forward slash motorsport101. As I mentioned a moment ago, episode 101 of Motorsport 101 went live, quite literally, on YouTube earlier this week. Um, but Dre, for those that either caught the live stream or haven't heard it yet, there's a very good reason for them to download it on SoundCloud too. Yeah, there's some extra content in there, like Zoe Hamilton screaming independence. <laughs> um, she found that out the other day, and she was completely unaware of it, and she thought it was hilarious. So well done, Sadami. Well played, well played. Uh, but uh, on top of that, there is also an exclusive interview in there with Jack Harvey, who's returning to IndyCar this weekend at Watkins Glen. And it's brilliant, um, for, Yeah, for Smith-Peterson Motorsport. So there, like, we obviously we couldn't fit it in there. We're not that technical, technologically advanced yet, where we could just interject pieces of audio in a Google Hangout. But um, yet, yeah, as an exclusive bonus... 
So, yeah, in case you listened to The Hangout, if we're being completely honest, it wasn't the best in terms of um, production quality. Um, The internet was a bit sketchy, so we also recorded it locally. So you will get a better version of what you listen to on YouTube, on SoundCloud, for sure, because we also recorded all the audio locally. And, as I said, the exclusive interview with Jack Harvey of SPM, who's returning to IndyCar this weekend to see out the season in hot pink you know if you're into that sort of thing um so yeah you can check that episode 101 of motorsport 101 on brand edition it, and he, he also went two hours 45 minutes mm. sorry about that lewis yeah. but um <laughs> but uh yeah but, so if you want to get 165 minutes of, of of me king and rj talking all the all the stuff from formula one at spa indycar at gateway and of course that harvey interview check it out yeah at least there aren't any other pink cars to drive into there seems to be a habit of pink cars hitting each other in uh, motorsport these yeah. days um, yeah so uh so yeah but uh, but no in all seriousness it is a, it is a cracking interview so do check it out um, on uh, on the web, so it'll be on the uh, YouTube channel very very soon, we believe. Um, but yeah, you can check it out. The episode episode one hundred and one hashtag on brand um, is on our SoundCloud feed right now. And if you uh, want to find the full list of both uh, shows, Bike Live Motorsport One One, a full backlog of episodes, head to our website motorsport one hundred and one dot net. Um, right then, let's head back to Silverstone then for last weekend's British Grand Prix uh, at Silverstone and. Another great Grand Prix, a, a group fight we got at the front, a five-way fight for the victory between um, Valentino Rossi, who led early on and pulled out that one-second lead at the start and looked as if he was going to try and manage it from the front for most of the race. His teammate, Mario Mignales, who was uh, running second and trying gradually to chase him down, the Ducati of Davizioso, and then two Hondas, Mark Marquez and Carl Crutchlow. We'll come on to them in a bit. Um, but the race went to Andrea Davizioso, um, and, I mean, we've... I think we've been taking him seriously as a championship contender ever since he took those back-to-back wins at Mugello and Catalunya, where he really did force himself into title contention. Then, of course, he led it out of Assen as well, Dre. Um, but if there was anybody left that was a dissenter, if there was anybody left who had any doubts that Davizioso and Ducati are ready to take this world championship, uh, Dovi surely dispelled them at Silverstone. I was gonna say that like the simple statement for me is guys, it's real. Um, this is not this is not a fluke. Like Doffy's not going away, you guys. Um, yeah, this was a brilliant ride from Doffy. He keeps finding new ways to to impress me. Um, that was I we've like I said like Doffy was not known as the dogfight guy really going into the season, and now he's won two brilliant dogfights with. Two of the fastest riders we've seen in MotoGP in many a year. Um, so when, when, he, when he's come out of those situations on top, and like Dovi's now won more races this season than anyone else in MotoGP. That was his fourth win of the season. Marquez and I think Maverick have three. Um, so when like would you ever have imagined that Ducati had suddenly jumped up from two wins last season to four? And I've always said, if you can win four or five races a year, you you will be a title contender by the time it's all said and done, most likely. So, Dovi's now got four wins. If it rains anywhere else between now and the end of the year, he's in with a serious chance here now. Like, like Dovi is no longer hanging on to people's coattails. He is in this fight now. He is able to go with the Yamahas pretty much at every round now. And if, if Honda's not having such a good day, he'll be in there with them too. I would still say Marquez is probably the slight favourite right now, but that, that was as good a GP ride as, as Dovi has ever had. And, mm. you know, just very quietly, he's now won four of the last seven. And he's, he's in there. He's, he's right in there now. And 
there's no argument for me. Like the guy is right in the mix to win this championship, and we, like he has now earned the right where we have to take him a lot more seriously now. And we probably should have done that. If, if you weren't convinced by Assen and you're not now, I think you're crazy because again, like he he is right there now. Absolutely, I think that's, I think you're right. I think we have to now. We surely we have to talk about him in the same breath as the guys he was he's been competing against this season. The the aliens in inverted commas uh, of MotoGP um, because. I mean, you could you could level a sort of weird circumstance at not that we necessarily have on this show, but you could you could take his victory, for example, at Mugello and say Valentino wasn't fit. For instance, you could say after the Catalonia win that it was a race of attrition of tire management because the tires were going off on that baking track surface that was falling apart in Barcelona. Austria, of course, is peak Ducati track, um, mm-hmm. but but in terms of talking about him in this alien tier of MotoGP. This was a race where Andrea Di Vizioso um, was in a straight fight on equal terms with Marc Marquez, who, granted, had a mechanical problem, Maverick Vinales, Valentino Rossi, and Cal Crutchlow, who had people talking about him in that same breath as an alien-level rider after his two wins last year. And right. on equal terms, Andrea Di Vizioso went out there and outraced the lot of them. It's a dogfight that he probably wouldn't have won a year and a half ago. Like, look at Qatar when he was narrowly beaten by Valentino. And, you know, we've seen situations where Dovi has come, you know, inches from from that level of victory. But we didn't see it until until we got to this season at the end where in, in the rain where he, he basically outmuscled Valentino and Rossi made a critical mistake. And this year he's found another level. He is now winning these dogfights and... He, like I think the secret is the tire management. His tire management is now the best in the field, and it's it's not even close in that department now. Like, and, and I know guys like David Emmett have talked about this, and uh, Gigi Delini has talked about this a lot, and the technology that they're using on their bikes. But Dovi is a genius, um, uh, the most intelligent these, rider in MotoGP. Yeah, we, in terms of yeah, in terms of managing these tires now, he is so good at getting used to these Michelins that. He knows exactly when to push, exactly when to when to when to go it, when, when when to tie it down a little bit. He knows exactly where the grip is going to be. He knows where the limit is. He's not making these mistakes right now, and he his management has been so good. He's able to dictate the terms of pretty much every fight he's been in this season, and it's like it's no fluke. He's he's had four wins because. He's earned every single one of them, even the one he was meant to win in Austria. That one didn't come easy, no. but he did. He came out on top against Marquez, who was surprisingly fast that weekend. And, yeah, like he, he has earned all four of these wins. There's been no flukes, no coincidences, no asterisks involved. He has come out on top. And, yeah, four wins in a season on a Ducati. It's like Casey Stone has come back for a bit, only a little bit more of a well-rounded, not quite as fast in a straight line, but... The level of tactical nous in in there with with, with Davizioso is what's making the difference here. Yeah, and Ducati deserve a lot of credit too. Of course, they have genuinely improved their bike this year. I mean, we we kind of asked the question at the start of this season um, when okay, Dovi was second in Qatar, but that's the third or third year in a row he's done that, and then he didn't really figure up the front in Argentina or in America. All right, Argentina he was taken out, but he was taken out from sixth or seventh in the race, wasn't he? Um, when he was in when he was running in that race. Um, but Ducati have definitely made that bike a legitimate front-running contender now alongside the Honda and the Yamaha. And 
it has to be said, when you're now in a position where you can put that bike in a leading group, where Ducati have given Dovizioso that fighting chance now in a leading group against these guys, that top-end speed that that Ducati has is now such a formidable weapon that Dovizioso is able to put himself in position and basically say to these guys, try and overtake me. Um, and he, yeah. I mean, as soon as he chased down Valentino Rossi um, with three or four laps to go, we were watching that race thinking, well, Valet is a sitting duck here. There's no way, once they get to Hangar Street, that he's going to be able to keep that Ducati behind him, um, no matter right. how much grip he's got. Um, so Dolby blitz past him, and then even when Maverick was starting to chase him down towards the end, I'm watching that racing king. Well, I don't see where Maverick's going to make an overtake because he's not got the top end to beat that Ducati down the straights anywhere. Um, so it's it's it now, it's, it's now putting Dolby in that position where he can now mix with these guys. And he's got that ace up his sleeve, that top-end speed down a straight that his rivals don't have, um, which now makes him such a formidable adversary for these guys. Um, but the one thing that really struck me, and we spoke about this briefly off-air before we started recording this show, mm. is for me, whenever, whenever I've been watching motorsport, and I've been watching motorsport now for 20 years, and a, a great hallmark of any world champion in any championship, be it Formula 1, MotoGP, anything, is the hallmark of a guy winning a world championship is one who wins the races that he should not win. And right. on even even as late as Saturday night after qualifying, and all we had left in that race weekend on track was warm-up and the Grand Prix, Dredovizioso was speaking himself in the Ducati hospitality after qualifying, saying, this is going to be a tough race for us. Ducati and Dovizioso were legitimately, at the time those red lights went out, the fifth favourites to win that Grand Prix. Right. We were expecting to see a four-way fight at the front between Marquez, Crutchlow, Rossi and Vinales. None of us were genuinely thinking this was a race that Dovi was going to line up and win. And Dovi went out there without... Okay, we can talk about Mar Marquez and his engine blowing up, but he was behind Dovi when he blew up, let's not forget. Dovi right. went out there and took it. And surely, Dre, those are the kind of performances that win world championships, winning the races that you really shouldn't have had any right to win. Completely agreed. Um, one hundred and ten percent. That was that was like nobody thought Dolby was going to win that race. Nobody. And again, as you say, they were they were talking themselves out of that win on Saturday night. They they thought, okay, if we do really well here, we might get a podium because, as, as you mentioned, I thought Marquez, Vinales, and Rossi, and maybe Crutchlow with an outside chance at a podium. Um, we're, we're going to be the four to scrap it out. And to be fair, they they were the guys that scrapped it out. But Dovey hung around. He stuck around and. You're absolutely right. You mentioned like the, the, the two biggest weapons Dovi's got in his, ars his arsenal is that one, he's always been a demonically late breaker, um, which doesn't help when it comes. It's, it's a great offensive and defensive weapon. And as you say, that Ducati is still a rocket ship in a straight line. So, um, yeah, you've now basically got the hardest man to pass in MotoGP now, basically. So if Dovi can get to the front, he's an extremely hard man to stop. We saw Marquez do it. Even Marquez's late lunge wasn't enough in Austria. Um, but as you say, he wasn't meant to win that race. I didn't think he was going to win that race. Oh. I thought Marquez was going to win that race. Um, and even so, I thought the Yamahas were still fairly comfortable out there with Valentino and, and Maverick. I mean, the cover of MCN last week with Rossi on the front said it already. I mean, you can, you can see where the chips were lying on that one. They thought, oh, Rossi might go back to back. But um, no, like Dovi did, was not meant to win that race, and he did. And that is what champions do. They make the best of bad situations. And yeah, like the way it's going now, 
Dobby's a real contender. <laughs> He's a real contender. And we'll, we'll come on to Marquez in a moment, who, of course, lost his championship lead um, with his mechanically enforced retirement from the British Grand Prix. But let's talk about the men in second and third, uh, the Yamahas. And, of course, we now have to... There's a new context to all of this with what's happened to Valentino Rossi since this Grand Prix weekend. Um, but looking at the weekend uh, in isolation first, um, could this Dre go on? If Maverick Vinales wins this world championship at the end of the season, which he may still do, might we look back on Silverstone as a key turning point for this team? Because, of course, they they ruined their tyres long short of the finish in Austria, went to test at Mizano to try and improve the issue. And Maverick Vinales went out there at Silverstone in hotter temperatures than anyone was expecting with a soft rear tyre and made mm. it last. That's a good sign. It's a good, no matter, I, I did not think that Maverick's rear so, software tire was going to make the whole race on, and it, and it did. I was very surprised when I found out that it did, and he hung in there. And again, that might be that might be a catalyst for Yamaha to change. It looks like they're it looks like they're a lot stronger on their tires this year, um, or this or this part of the season when they were again, as mentioned in places like RF, where they struggled in low grip circumstances, as you say, the race was surprisingly hot, hotter than it probably should have been, given it was Great Britain in August. Um, yeah. Quite why, frankly, you're playing Russian roulette with the weather at that point. But um, yeah, as you said, it, like that soft tire held up surprisingly well, and it was, and it probably made the difference between him and Valentino in the race, uh, breaking out that extra half second on the final lap when he needed it most and was the closest guy to challenge Dobby for the win. But even so, a very valuable 20 points for the championship. Maverick needs to claw himself back into play. Those 20 points will certainly help. And yeah, it, it could be a catalyst for change for Yamaha going forward. We'll have to wait and see for some other technical rounds down the road, like like Valencia, the finale, and you know some places like Aragon, which is a lot more technical. And one where Marquez has won pretty convincingly last year. Um, places like that will have to will have to come into play. But uh, for now, like in a vacuum, good job from Yamaha to take second and third in a track they were probably weren't going to do so well on. And, 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 and an interesting and gamble that paid off for Maverick. Yeah, it is, because as soon as I saw that starting grid and saw their tie selections, I looked at Maverick and thought, whoa, that's a huge gamble um, that he's it taken. Is. But he, he even said afterwards in the press conference, he said it, he didn't see it as a gamble. He just saw that as the best tyre option for him that he felt best with. And he said he ran it in warm-up and it felt wet, it felt okay, so he went with it. And um, credit to Maverick for making that tyre last. And uh, it's, it's really the first time that he's looked like winning a Grand Prix since he really won it at Le Mans, it has to be said. I mean, I know he was a close-ish second to Davizio, so in Mugello, but it's easy to forget that we have to go all the way back to race five of the season for the last time Maverick Vinales won a Grand Prix. Um, but in all seriousness, after that it's kind of wobble he had around Catalonia Assen time, he has started to look much more like his old self again. I mean, Saxon Ring with a fourth from low down on the grid, uh, and Bruno a third behind the two Hondas, and Austria, he was, he, well, he was the first of the two factory Yamahas there. After that sort of mid-season dip, where we started to question his his temperament and question whether he had the the ability to handle the pressure of this championship, he has kind of come up with the answers, hasn't he? He's bounced back a little bit for sure. Like this is this is certainly the most comfortable I think Maverick has looked since the Saxon Ring before the summer break, and maybe a little bit further back than that when he was actually winning races. But yeah, you know, I think you're definitely right. I mean, compared to the mid-season blip that Maverick had, where he was struggling to handle situations where everything didn't go his way which is inevitable in MotoGP but yeah like Maverick has definitely clawed his way back in, in back into play here I, I did have some some question marks regarding his temperament and his his run of form before the break but uh yeah this is back to his best he's now had 
two straight races where he's outperformed Rossi on, in, in, in the same scenario and he's come out on top again. And yeah, Maverick is starting to look his old self again. And again, he couldn't have come at a better time either, given what happened with Marquez. Mm, yeah, absolutely. I mean, Valentino Rossi in third place and we're talking about a world championship battle here. And again, it sounds a bit odd because you could pretty much argue that Valentino Rossi isn't in it now, um, given what's happened to him today as we record this. But um, a solid weekend for Valentino Rossi from a, a strong qualifying where he really should have been on pole position um having gone into the final sector of his qualifying lap with a three-tenth advantage over Mark marquez and then lost it in that final sector around the slow complex where the Yamaha was just spinning its wheels up too much as it's done on a few occasions this season where it's ruined its tires um mm. started second led for a lot of the race and um it's us the opposite of what we normally see from valentino we're so used to seeing him play the stalker if you like follow someone for a lot of the race and then pounce with a few laps to go and this time he was the hunted rather than the hunter uh, in this Grand Prix. And we've seen a few times this year, Dre, where Valentino Rossi has almost talked himself down. He did it a lot at the start of the season when he was talking <laughs> about how much trouble he was in uh, in pre-season testing. Um, and after Saturday free, uh, qualifying, when he qualified a strong second, he said, if everything goes well, at best, we can challenge for the last spot on the podium. And I think a lot of people watched that and thought, yeah, Valentino Rossi's playing possum, talking his chances down. Turns yep. out he was right on the money. Yeah, very bizarre. Oh, from Valentino, as you said, like his track record kind of precedes him on this one, where he's he's often talked down his own chances, and it's like, oh, surprise! Look, Rossi's won, um, and he, that's been a story with Rossi a lot of the time. But no, this time he was very much right, and it, well, I, I'd argue that what the more interesting quotes came after the race, where he said straight up, he do, he doesn't feel like he has the strength to compete for the championship in the final laps anymore. Mm which has been a key part of Valentino Rossi's game over the years. He was and it's, the it's best. probably worth clarifying that he doesn't mean <laughs> physical strength there. He means strength yeah. in terms of he just doesn't able, he's not able at the minute with this bike to make the tyres last the distance. Yeah, like he's struggling to the point where he hasn't got that extra tenth or two on a final lap that can really make the difference. Um, and yeah, like Rossi has not been the dogfight guy this year. Yeah, and, that, and that's what Ross, as you say, Rossi used to be super good at that. He yeah, was the big dogfight he was in this year. He lost to Maverick at, at Le Mans. Yeah, exactly. Like this, this is and even worse. He not only lost, he crashed yeah. with three corners to go. He completely lost concentration and, and fell. Um, and as you say, they used to be they used to be one of the strongest parts of Rossi's game. He was the best hand to hand combat rider I've ever seen. Where he would often, as you say, follow another rider in front of him, wait for him to blink with two laps to go, put the move on him, and then set Foster up and win. That was Rossi's specialty back in in in, in the not so distant past. But as you say now, he now he hasn't got that weapon in his arsenal anymore, and. You know, he's a good race pace guy. He's always a Sunday man, and his race pace has always been good. But if he's dealing with guys that are able to dig an extra tenth or two out in a clutch situation, like a Marquez, like a Dovi, like a Vinales is, he's not going to win this championship because those are going to cost you 15, 20, maybe more points over the course of an entire season. Mm. Yeah, he's... he's. I mean, we just have to look at his results this season. There's just, just been the one victory in Assen. Um, where he only just won that one. Um, I mean, he won it, so we can't really take any away from him, but he was he could have easily on another day been beaten by Petrucci that day um, yeah. at, at Assen. Um, and just looking through his results, a couple of seconds, but a lot of thirds and thirds, fourths, and he's had an eighth, he's had a, a seventh in Austria as well, um, only a tenth at Jerez earlier this season. He's been consistent, he's consistently scored points, and just 
kept himself just in touch throughout the season without ever really, ever since he led it at the Second Americas, never really been the front-running guy um, in this World Championship. And um, as I say, we will come back to Valentino Rossi later in the show and discuss what's happened to him um, since Silverstone with an injury which looks set to put any chances of him winning this year's World Championship um, to bed, unfortunately, for Valentino. Um, but in terms of the... The big guy missing at the end of that race from the race-winning fight, Mark Marquez, who took his, what I believe is his fourth straight pole position. Um, Saxon Ring, Bruno, Austria, and now Silverstone. Mark Marquez has taken pole position. Uh, the fastest ever motorcycle racing lap of Silverstone. Um, a lap where, I swear oh, to God, Dre, it looked like he crashed about three times on that qualifying lap and still stayed on. Um, it, it <laughs> when, was, he, when, he, when he's on the limit, he is truly ridiculous. It's it incredible to watch, to watch Matt Marquez in full fly on a qualifying lap. For me, it's, it's every bit as exhilarating as watching Senna on a qualifying lap in, in his peak Formula 1 days. It, it's just electrifying to watch Mark Marquez. How, how does that man have 71 pole positions and he's only 24? Yeah, yeah, how? Yeah, he's, yeah, he's going to be way into three figures before uh, before his career's up. Um <laughs> It must be. Uh, it, it's incredible. Um, but it, if, if there was ever any doubt that this championship's going down to the wire, I think those doubts have been dispelled as well, haven't they, Dre? Just when Matt Marquez might have been starting to take control of this one, bang goes the Honda at the end of Hangar Straight. The racing gods had some debt collection to take out <laughs> from the end of 2015 after what's happened to Rossi and Marquez the last week. Um, <laughs> so I'm, here to I'm here to collect the sofa. And uh, next thing you know, a Honda engine goes pop for the first time in MotoGP terms in 10 years. I think, I think it was Neil Morrison said the last time a Honda engine went bang was Phillip Island 2007, um, which says it all, really. Like, Honda don't normally have those sort of moments where the bike just straight up fails them. Um, incredibly unlucky for Mark Marquez, who was well in the mix for the win when that when that engine exploded. And, uh, yeah, just, just, just one of those little things where you just go, oh, God, like, they really want this to go to the final day, don't they? Yeah. Uh, like, the racing goes like, no, he's too good. He's, he's too far in front. We have to bring him down. There you go. <laughs> the equaliser has come in. Hence, bang, goes Marquez's engine. And a real shame because he was right in the mix. And, of course, he would have added something to that fight for sure between Dovi and Vinales at the end. Um, who knows what would have happened there. But um, it would have been very fun to see how that would have turned out. But, uh, yeah, not this time, sadly, for Marquez. A very unfortunate um, freak, freak um, accidents with, with his engine there. Yeah, I mean, the, the, there are two ways, I suppose, of, of looking at it. There's, it depends whether you're glass half full or glass half, glass half empty with Mark Marquez. I mean, there's there's, there's one way of looking at it in that, uh, even though because he left Silverstone with no points, he could quite easily have won that race. He had every, every good as a bit as good a chance as anybody else of winning that Grand Prix at the points <laughs> at which he retired, and he had the pace. He was brilliant in qualifying once again. It's pretty clear once again that that Honda has really taken a step forward, and that Mark Marquez apparently can now challenge for victories at any circuit now. I mean, Mizano, I think, will be the final confirmation if we need it, given that Marquez hasn't really ever looked, certainly in the last couple of years, like a race-winning contender at Mizano. That's definitely much more a Yamaha venue. Um, so if Marquez can fight for victory there, then we definitely know he's, he's, he's up for the fight and that he's going to take a hell of a lot of a beating. But if we're going to look at glass half-empty Dre for Mark Marquez, um, he's been... Brilliant in the last four races um, since, or last, yeah, last four races if you include Silverstone from Saxon onwards. Um, and if you look at the three races leading up to Silverstone, where it looked like he was taking control of this world championship with two wins in a second, all of that in one fell swoop and one cloud of smoke has been completely cancelled out. Yeah, like 
Marquez must be sitting at home thinking, I'm not. They're going to make this as hard as possible, aren't they? Yeah, because heading well, into the ring, he trailed Davizioso in the championship, and he two wins and a second later, he still trails Davizioso. <laughs> he was the best part of forty points down before the Saxon ring came around, and next thing you know, he was in front by a good fifteen points, and the next thing you know, he's back in, but he's back behind again. Like, like Marquez has been, Only I think, the strongest. six races yeah. to do anything about it. Yeah, like I think like, it's, it, this is this is far from a disaster for Mark. I think he's only eight points off the top. This is this is not this is not panic stations by any stretch of the imagination. The way this season's gone, Marquez, I think is the strongest all round rider in the field right now, yeah. and will probably win at least two of the last six, which might be enough in in the grand scheme of things. But yeah, he's going to be sitting at home thinking, "What could have been with one with Argentina." Which I will bring up again because that is a race that he that was pretty much a nailed on Marquez yeah, he win. Had it won, and Silverstone, which he probably would have finished fourth at the absolute worst, um, if he was caught up in the dogfight between Vinales, Dovi, Rossi, and maybe Crutchlow, um, he would have finished top four most likely, absolute worst out of that. So there's like a good forty dead points that could have easily been rectified right there. And yeah, if Marquez wins it, then he's gonna be absolutely phenomenal. But at the same time, it's like, well, he's had a lot of, of, of bad luck also go against him so far this season. It's yeah. been Three DNFs for Mark Marquez this season. Um Davizioso's only had the one, that DNF which wasn't his fault in Argentina when Alicia Spargro uh, swept him up. Uh, and Maverick Miales has had two DNFs. Um, this season, um, both through his own crashes, Circuit Americas and Assad. Rossi's had one DNF, but he might well have a did not start um, in a week or so's time at the Mizano, tragically for him at his home round. Um, and Pedroza's had two DNFs, so he's had more DNFs than anyone else in this championship fight, um, and yet he's still only nine points off the lead. Um, but as I say, his margin of error is getting smaller and smaller now um, because, you know. It's very easy mm-hmm. when talking about point swings, but a Mark Marquez victory at the British Grand Prix with Dovi in second, um, you're talking about a 30-point swing there. Um, and you're, t- you're talking about Mark Marquez of a lead of 21 uh, over Davizioso um, had he won that Grand Prix with Dovi in second. And th- that's a huge championship point swing. Um, with, as you say, all it takes perhaps is a wet race where Ducati, we know, are superb in those conditions. Um, yep. for a Mark Marquez now, it's, it's a six-race championship. <laughs> Um, with circuits to go that c- will suit each of the three ba- packages that are in the fight for this world championship and I mean we're so lucky MotoGP this year to have a championship fight like this even without likely Valentino Rossi in the fight now for the remainder of this season we've got Dre a genuine three-way title fight between three different riders on three different makes of motorcycle I mean how lucky are we to have this kind of championship fight with six races still to go it still could go any one of three ways Hashtag blessed. You said it, man. It's and even more so where with these tires, we don't know what's going to happen in each circuit either. Where like this this season has shattered anything resembling a form book. Like David Emmett summed it up best after Austria. He said there is no such thing as a Yamaha or a Honda track anymore. Like nothing is nailed on anymore. Like these guys are able to perform everywhere now, and I think that's been Marquez's greatest. That's he's not really had very many completely bad races. Where he's had no chance of winning, and he's been right in there now. So yeah, like there is no designated circuit for any of these guys outside of maybe Aragon for Marquez, who he tends to go very strong around there. Besides that, it's anyone's guess on these Michelin tires. So that's going to be great to keep an eye on. And yeah, we we are very lucky to have have such a 
polarizing but also a completely vast landscape of a title fight where we have three brilliant riders on three different brilliant bikes and we have no idea what's going to happen round to round. You couldn't ask for anything more. Absolutely not. And uh, there are still riders through this season who, from race to race, are going to have a say. I mean, we've seen the likes of Folger and Zarco play a part in various races. Uh, we've seen Petrucci play a part in a couple of races this season. This time, at the British Grand Prix, unsurprisingly, given this is home round, and he always goes well here, we had Cal Crutchlow in the mix um, for a Grand Prix hey. victory up the front. And... Um, he was brilliant on Friday when he was quickest of all in, in free practice and then was kind of disappointed that he wasn't on the pole. Um, made a couple of mistakes in his qualifying lap and ended up starting third on the grid. Um, and, I mean, it's a kind of a measure of what Cal was expecting from that weekend, that he was kind of disappointed with a fourth um, from that Grand Prix, even though he finished just, what, a second and change off the race win itself. Um, but for all of his... Um, you know, he's kind of a bit of a hit and miss rider, isn't he, Carl Crutchlow? He's just as likely to finish on the podium as he is to finish in the in the hedge in a Grand Prix. But this was one weekend where we can hand nothing but praise down to Carl Crutchlow. He was brilliant, wasn't he? Yeah, excellent all weekend long, like on the front row in qualifying, very fast. Always one of the first guys to dip under milestones in terms of lap times in practice. Like that was the good Carl Crutchlow, the confident aggressive, fast crutchlow that we often get out of nowhere in these races where he just ha- he just, he's, ab- he's able just to pull a rabbit out of the hat. And this was another really strong performance from him. Um, he's capable of rides like that. I just wish it came out of him a bit more frequently rather than waiting for the next time he, he bins it from eighth place when he's capable of podiums and wins and mixing it up with the very best of them. So, yeah, a bit of a, a, bit of a bittersweet weekend for Cal, but absolutely one where he deserves nothing but praise. That was a, that was one of Crutchlow's strongest weekends of this season. Mm. Yeah, it is, and uh, he's got a few rounds to go where he's showed in the past that he can be a real front-running contender, most notably Phillip Island, where he won last year um, on that LCR Honda. Fifth in the Grand Prix went to Jorge Lorenzo on the Ducati, and although it's not his best result of the season, Dre, I'm pretty certain that's the closest in time that Lorenzo has been to the race winner just three and a half seconds off the win for Jorge Lorenzo um who quietly 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 is getting there isn't he yeah he's very quietly putting it together now and again as you say that was the closest he's been from a race win since he joined Ducati only three and a half seconds off the win and Lorenzo was taking a lot of a lot of pleasure in being so close so yeah again completely agreed that was a very strong weekend from Lorenzo um, you, you know, the question of Ducati is, is he going to be too good? Is he, is he going to start taking points off Dovi at this rate, I wonder? Mm-hmm. <laughs> if he keeps just going? That, that could be a problem. Yeah. Um, but in any case, yes, absolutely. Like, Lorenzo is doing a killer job right now. And that was that was a, the, another leap forward in terms of improvement. So, yeah, really cool to see. Yeah, as long as he <laughs> takes points off Marquez and Vinales, I think Ducati will be just fine with that. Um, it kind of, yeah, it's how it's a fine line because they're, they're all going to be very, very close uh, on track. And, yeah, Lorenzo, I said this a few shows ago, Lorenzo could play a key role in this just yet. Um, of course, he was the guy that Ducati paid through the nose for to win them this world championship. And uh, as it is, it's Dovi that might well do it for them. Uh, the workhorse of Ducati for so many years, the uh, less heralded of their two riders. Um, but we shall see. Sixth in the Grand Prix to Jean Zarco. Another excellent result for him. Um, beating Danny Pedrosa to do it. Danny, who had a dreadful weekend. And Zarko mm-hmm. himself was only seven seconds off the wind, Dre. I mean, again, we said this last time after his result in Austria. It's very easy to become blasé about Zarko and talk about Zarko finishing in the top six like it's not a big deal. But again, Jean Zarko was only seven seconds off the outright race victory on a year-old Yamaha. Another outstanding result. He's a friggin' rookie, people. Yeah. <laughs> 
How many times am I going to say this? Like he, he—it's not forget. He is a rookie. He is a goddamn rookie, and he is finishing multiple races only a handful of seconds off the victory on a bike that is not optimum. He's doing a fantastic job again and again and again. Zarco is just pulling out these consistent performances, um, weekend after weekend. You like the greatest compliment I can say is it looks like a rider that's been here five years. And he's a rookie. This is only his guys his thirteenth MotoGP race. Like this is ridiculous stuff from Zarco. He's putting together a fantastic season. And hey, if he if he could finish in the top five or six of the championship, that would be an astonishing achievement. He's only I mean, he's not gonna win this world championship by no means, Jean Zarco, but he is he is within right. seventy seventy four points off the championship leader. And mm-hmm. we've with six races of a championship to go. He has. He would have had no right at the start of the season to be anywhere near as close as that to the front of the world championship at this stage of the right. season. It's it, it's just a measure of how well this guy has done this year. Um, that he's that he is where he is, and he is ahead of Jorge Lorenzo, Cal Crutchlow, and others in the world championship. Guys that have won world championships or won Grand Prix before, um, mm-hmm. and are, are experienced names that we talk about as top tier riders in this class. And Zarco is ahead of them in year one. Um, and he might well find himself in an upgrade of machinery uh, in the future with the uh, with the Rossi news that's broken this week. We'll talk about that later on in the show. Um, but other riders that deserve a mention from this British Grand Prix, uh, Scott Redding being one, not so much for his attire on Thursday at Silverstone, um, which was uh, patriotic, if we're being polite. Um, and, uh, You've been very kind there, my friend. You've been very kind, which kind of Cal Crutchlow was on Friday. Um, but... Um, <laughs> In terms of his outright performance on the track, probably one of the few times this season where, for right from the word go, he was clearly the stronger of the two Pramit riders. Yes, um, definitely. Maybe that hometown boost gives you a little bit of an edge out there. And and the fact that he knows just... that he's going to be still on the grid next year. Well, yeah, I guess that. I mean, mentally, that's that could certainly put your mind at ease. See Moto Two, but uh, but um, yeah, you're absolutely right. I think that was the first weekend. I think pretty much all year, I read him like he was legitimately just better than Petrucci, Petrucci pretty much all season long. And um, yeah, that was a very strong weekend from Redding. A good eighth place finish, um, right in the middle of that of that field. Only a couple of seconds off Pedrosa and the real big hitters. Um, so yeah, like Redding will take some confidence in that. That was a very good ride from Scott. Um, probably the best he's looked all season. Yeah, it's his first top ten result since Argentina race two. Uh, of the season. Of course, remember, Scott Redding was fourth in the World Championship after two races when he started the season um, with a uh, seventh and an eighth. Seventh in Qatar, eighth in Argentina. Hasn't been anywhere near that since then. He's had a best result since then of 11th at Jerez um, for Scott Redding. So a a timely return to form for him at his home Grand Prix. Just behind him, um, and we'll talk about why Redding and this guy were as high as they were in a moment, but in ninth, Alex Rins um, for the Suzuki, and he was only 15 seconds off the race winner um, on that Suzuki. <laughs> don't know what it is about Suzuki's and Silverstone that just seemed to work, but um, again, we're talking about rookies in Zarco and Folger, who've done a great job this season. We hadn't spoken so much about Rins, um, but now that this right. guy is fully fit and getting a run of races together on that Suzuki, he's putting a damn impressive run together, isn't he? That's a back-to-back races now that he's out-qualified Yanone. A ninth position for Rins on that Suzuki. And as I say, to be only 15 seconds off the race winner on a Suzuki, is some going, whether you're experienced or not, for Alex Rins. He's doing a fantastic job. That is not a good Suzuki bike this year. I don't care what anyone tells me. 
And, you know, we, we, we've spoken about the disappointing nature of Ianoni this season where he's been, you know, below par for what we expected of Ianoni and the black that, that he was joining and the team he was joining from last season. I don't know how much of that is down to Andrea and how much of that is down to the team. I leave that to, to better educated people to debate. But Rins has been a top 10 runner pretty much every race he's been healthy this season. That is fantastic. And... Like, the way the season's played out, I think Ian O'Neill's been walking evidence that that bike is not top 10 quality on a consistent basis. Um, but yet, Rins is pulling out great performances pretty much every time since he's come back now. Um, so, yeah, like, very quietly, Rins is putting together a, a great resume of a rookie season despite that early injury. He's, like, the, the talent is certainly coming through. Yeah, it is. And uh, he's... As much as uh, his teammates is coming for criticism this season, Suzuki, I think they, they've got a rider there that they certainly should persevere with in Rins. Whether they persevere with you know now or not is, well, is uh, up for debate, uh, as we're going to discuss in a moment. Um, but Rins started the season, it's easy to forget, he started the season with a ninth place in Qatar round one uh, of the season. And he, of course, hasn't matched that result for various reasons since then. And a ninth at Silverstone equals his career best uh, in MotoGP. Um, and yet yeah, doing a fantastic job on that bike and uh, proving just why he's been spoken so highly of in recent years as a future MotoGP champion, I suppose. And um, he's showing every bit of what he's made of now in MotoGP. His teammate, though, Dre, <coughs> Andre Inone, who was quickest in the warm-up on, on Sunday morning. And again, something about Suzuki's and Silverstone um, just seemed to work. But that was about as good as his Sunday got, unfortunately, um, because his Sunday ended with him tailgating Danilo Petrucci down in Abbey um, and uh, given that this is a guy who's coming for a lot of criticism this season it's not really the way to answer your critics Andrea I'm trying man I'm I'm really trying here but come on man make make everybody's lives a little bit easier because like this is this is bad this is bad and it, like it's it's like bad on top of bad it's 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 a double decker of bad and it's, and they're a bad enough chocolate bar as it is um it's it's not been good for Ianoni. and again as you say you see like the heat on his seat is 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 it's starting to get a bit itchy underneath down a, a bit itchy down there right now in terms of just criticism and in terms of but it was like the Suzuki legends like Kevin Schwartz has just has just bashed the crap out of him the last month or so saying he's saying he's probably not the guy if he's not making the effort he should go and then what happens takes takes himself out with another rider in the closing laps of a critical race when he would have finished in the top 10 Ugh, just not good especially when Alex Rins is starting to show him up now as well it's it's not good from a guy that let's not forget won a Grand Prix last year no, exactly. He's not looking like a Grand Prix winner at the moment, is he? Unfortunately, Andre Inoni. And yeah, it does beg the question. The better Rins gets, um, the the more it begs the question of Suzuki. Well, you know, we've, we've clearly got a guy we can hang our hat on in future with Rins. Do we persevere with Inoni, whose uh, professionalism has been called into question, as you mentioned, by Kevin Schwantz earlier this season? And yeah, when you're when you're attracting negative comments like that from a legend of your of your factory. Um, you're on you're skating on very thin ice, unfortunately, for Andre Iannone. So problems are building for him. And as I say, taking out um, not only himself, but Danilo Petrucci at the end of that race um, is not a way to answer your critics. And he is, at the moment, being outshone by Rince uh, in that team. Um, let's go through the result then of the British Grand Prix from Silverstone and uh, tell you how it finished. Andrea Dovizioso, the winner, um, by a tenth of a second from Maverick Vinales. Um, pretty sure that's the closest finish we've had all year. Valentino Rossi third on the second of the Movistar Yamahas. 
uh, with Cal Crutchlow in fourth, second and a half off the win. Jorge Lorenzo fifth ahead of Joan Zarco on the Tech 3 Yamaha. Danny Pedroza seventh ahead of Scott Renning and the aforementioned Rins with Alvaro Bautista completing the top 10 uh, in the end on the Aspar Ducati. Paul Aspargo in 11th, he had a good weekend um, on the KTM. Uh, Tito Rabat in 12th ahead of Carol Abraham, Hector Barbara and Loris Basco took the final point. The other two finishers, Jack Miller and Bradley Smith, who was the last finisher home in 17th. And Dre, this is a rider, unfortunately, not least for me, uh, who appears to be coming under increasing pressure at KTM. There is no nice way of saying you finished 18 seconds behind your teammate. Um, no matter which way you cut it, it's a bad look. And it's a double bad look when your home round in Austria two weeks ago had Mika Cario pull off KTM's best ever result. And again, Bradley was nowhere near in terms of competitiveness. Um, even more so, you're, like, you're tripling down on this when you basically say that, you know, they, they've changed crews around for him now mm. uh, as, as well. They, they've given they've given Bradley the same crew chief Callier had when he had that 10th place finish. Um, so when you, when you add all those factors in, it's not like the team's not trying to give Bradley every chance here, because they are. They definitely are, are basically bending over backwards to try and give the man a chance. But the way it's going right now... He's under increasing pressure because Paul Espagaro is doing a fantastic job of that bike right now. And again, Calio, the one chance he's been given, he finished in the top 10 on, 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 on home soil. So the way it's going, Bradley, he's in trouble here. Yeah, he has to improve pretty quickly and get closer to Paul. I mean, earlier in the season, he was finishing right with Paul in races, but it seems that gap has just grown and grown and grown. Uh, as the year goes on. I mean, I heard a great um, sort of analogy or a great description for it. Um, Bradley was quoted over the weekend of saying that at the moment he's riding that bike rather than racing it. Um, you know, he clearly doesn't feel as if it's his bike just yet, but he's not got much longer to, to figure it out. And yeah, he, his crew chief, um, his longtime crew chief from uh, Moto2 uh, when he was with Tech3, Tom Yoyik, um, who was his crew chief this year with KTM. <laughs> Um, was moved aside and Esteban Garcia who was the uh, crew chief of Calio for the test team and was Calio's crew chief at, at the Red Bull Ring um, the prior race to Silverstone um, was brought in alongside Bradley and he said something fascinating um, in his media debrief on Friday um, Bradley when um, he was asked about the way he'd been working at it um, during the day and he said that his crew chief had told him that they're going to have a new way of approaching the weekend and spend all of Friday focusing on long-run race performance because that was what it was established by his crew chief was one of Bradley's weaknesses. And I very nearly fell off my chair. So I know it would have been embarrassing because I was sat on the chair directly next to him. Um, but I, I, nearly, I nearly fell off my chair because I was thinking to myself, I had that down as one of Bradley's strengths. I've never had him down as a qualifier. That is... That's alarming. If that, if that, if that is the case, we're like... So let me get this straight. He's a qualifying guy now, and he's been out qualified by pole for most of the season as well. Um, are, we, are we getting a repeat of 2015 here? Mm, where, funny. yeah, like, are we getting a repeat of 2015 where, you know, pole absolutely kicked Bradley from pillar to post, and then Bradley complained about lack of opportunities. He was given one, and he bounced back. It's it's interesting to say the least, and. It's it's a little bit nerve wracking there because as you say, like if if that is a problem that, that they've pointed out with Bradley, if if the race pace is one of his weaker point, points, then whew, that's that's nervy. No, it is, and uh, yeah, he's 
he appears to be running out of time with that team. I mean, the team have him on a two-year contract at KTM, and there's no suggestion that they want to rip that up and cut him after one year, but um, there is a theory that was um, banded around on, on MCN's website uh, last week that they may consider swapping the two riders around, those two riders being Calio and Smith. Um, I mean, Calio is next out as a wild card at Aragon later this year, race after next. Um Dre, I mean, without putting two final points on it, Bradley can, for his future, for his career in MotoGP, surely he can't let himself be beaten by Calio again there. You'd think. Like, you'd have to say that is a critical, critical race for Bradley's future in that team. He can't really afford, you know, another another scrub like that where Calio beats him again. If he does that, then, gosh, goodness only knows what could happen there. And as you say, they, they could swap him because... The, the, if if Calio beats him a second time, right, you've got to sit there and go, is Calio just a better rider for that bike right now? Yeah, if you're, if you're, the, if you're, the, if you're you, the boss of that factory, you'd be looking at that saying, well, why is he not on that race bike again? Right. Like, that would be pretty conclusive. And again, no matter which way you cut it, it's that would be bang to right. So listen, like, like Bradley's not beating Calio in the two chances Calio's had as a wild card this year. Like, why is he still here? Um, and then, like, good luck finding an argument to get through to get through that one because, yeah, that's that's not good no, at all. Tough times ahead for for Bradley Smith. Pressure on him heading to Mizano next week for a Grand Prix where, of course, he had his career best MotoGP result uh, two years ago in that weird and wacky flag to flag race um, that Mark Marquez won in 2015, where Bradley, of course, was second. Championship standings. Then, before we move on to Moto Two. Uh, and it is led with six races to go. Davizioso leads by nine points from Mark Marquez. Uh, Maverick Vinales is a further four back in third, so 13 cover the top three. Uh, Rossi is a further 13 back in fourth. Uh, Danny Pedrosa is still only 35 off the lead at a circuit, of course, where he won last year, Mizano, next up. So could we see Danny yet force his way back into contention? Uh, we shall see. He's 35 off the lead now. Zarco 6th, 74 off the lead. Then comes Lorenzo 7th. Cal Crutchlow is now just a point behind the uh, former world champion in 8th uh, on 89 points. Then comes Folger in 9th. Folger didn't start the British Grand Prix after crashing heavily at Stowe in warm-up. And Daniela Petrucci, who, as I mentioned, was wiped out late on by Yenone. He's still 10th in the championship on 75 points. Yamaha back into the lead, or the outright lead of the Constructors' Championship ahead of Honda. They were tied for points heading into Silverstone. Uh, Yamaha with that second place uh, to Honda's fourth. The fourth coming, of course, from Crutchlow rather than Marquez. Sees Yamaha back in the lead by seven. Ducati, though, are only 19 points off the Constructors' Championship lead, um, which tells you that it is not just Dobby. That bike is genuinely a real front-running contender now in MotoGP. Right, Moto2 then next, and um, in the end, the championship battle took a back seat, um, the battle between Morbidelli and Luti. They finished third and fourth in the Grand Prix, um, but in the end, Dre, it was, it was a Grand Prix that if you took a snapshot of that race six or seven laps in, you were struggling to come up with a scenario where the Estrella Galicia Mark Vidyas team were not going to win that race, um, but somehow they didn't. Right, like... 
Again, it's six laps in, you're thinking, oh, it's going to be a one-two again. A lot of EDS have got this in the bag. No one can touch them. This is easy. Next thing you know, oh, wait. Is that Tucker up the front? Yeah. Um, okay. Um, oh, it's like Tucker's cashed in his one big round of the year. I got you. Um, yeah, just, oh, boy. Um, that, is, that is something else. And... Yeah, there's going to be a lot of head scratching among the Mark VDS paddock. They get me wrong; they've had a very dominant time this season. I don't think they'll be too upset at how this one turned out, really. But this was this was a sitter for Mark VDS there with Morbidelli. You know, again having a technical problem, unfortunately, which curtailed his race to a degree. But Marquez, you'd have thought Marquez would have had that one in the bag, and again, a very silly mistake that cost him dearly on that one and just probably taken away any slim chance Marquez had at the championship. Yeah, it does. And I don't want to sound too critical of Alex Marquez, but it it just shows you, doesn't it, why he's arguably not ready to, to win a Moto2 championship. And you'd ask yourself, why isn't he ready, given that he's won a Moto3 title before? But those are just the kind of mistakes that, like the mistake he made on the final lap of Argentina, that, that world champions, just they just shouldn't be making. Exactly, and that like that is a that is a very slow speed first second gear corner, probably less than fifty miles an hour on those bikes. I, I just don't get how you you just took the front like that. That is a silly mistake for a rider of Alex Marquez's quality, and it's the, it's been the biggest nitpick of Alex Marquez the last year and a half is that he still makes these amateur mistakes and has really avoidable crashes a lot of the time and. That's the thing that's holding Marquez, I think, back from being a really good rider from a true title contender is that he just makes too many silly mistakes and crashes all the time. It reminds me a lot of, like, he's like a rich man Sandro Cortese in that sense where he's, he's got pace, he can win any given race on paper when he's when he's locked in and concentrated, but when, when, his, con- when his concentration slips and he makes a silly mistake, it hurts him dearly. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's 68 points off the championship lead, which is way too much for him to make up in six races that remain. Uh, but he's had three DNFs this season, all down to his own crashes um, so far this season. Morbidelli, by, constant, uh, by uh, contrast, has only had the one. Thomas Lutie also has only had the one. So he's had two extra DNFs, or not DNFs necessarily, because Silverstone rebounded and got two points, but you get the drift. Um, he's made mistakes that, had he not made, he might well still be with an, with an outside chance of winning this World Championship. And unfortunately for Alex Marquez, that is the difference. Um, Franco Morbidelli had a clutch problem, it's later transpired, which is why his pace mysteriously dropped off. Because I thought at one point we were basically getting a rerun of what happened at the Saxon Ring, where, of course, Morbidelli was battling with Lutie. Then once Lutie went away, Morbidelli rather than taking control of the race, fell back into the clutches of the pack behind him, led by Oliveira in that race. Uh, on this occasion, he fell back towards Nakagami uh, in this Grand Prix, and Pasini, who was following as well, uh, the pole man. Um, in the end, though, Morbidelli finished third in the Grand Prix, a spot ahead of Thomas Lutti. Um We'll come on to the winner in a moment, but again, the way the championship is panning out this year, Morbidelli will probably take that, won't he? Yeah, that was that was not a bad result by any real measure for Frankie. I mean, given he had a technical problem, there was nothing he could do about that. To still finish, you know, where he did, um, to, to still get on the podium and finish in third with his main title rival behind him, that's a good result. It is a good result. It's not a win. It probably would have been a win if he, if he, if the bike was functional. But uh, I mean, how much are you really gonna gonna kick yourself for something that ultimately wasn't really your fault? And you know, you can live with that. So, 
So, yeah, like, this was still a net gain for Frankie, so he's not going to be too distraught at a third place. No, uh, increased his championship lead over Luti by three points. Um, let's talk about the winner. We have to talk about the winner. It seemed, um, from from sitting in the media centre when he crossed the line and just in the general, general atmosphere, a very, very popular win um, for Nakagami. He does seem a guy that's just universally liked um, right throughout the paddock in MotoGP. Um, and it was very interesting to hear Cal Crutchlow say on, on Friday as well that... Um, from the one experience he's seen of Nakagami on a MotoGP bike, he is very fast, Cal Crutchlow said, on a MotoGP bike. Um, and ex- mm. expects him to be very, very good when he steps on that bike. He hasn't necessarily lit Moto2 up, only the two wins. Um, but he says, Cal, that when he gets on a MotoGP bike, of course, will be his teammate next year, that Nakagami is very, very quick. Um, but it's very, very clear, Dre, that the announcement of a MotoGP seat for next season had the desired effect on Nakagami. Yeah, again, maybe the whole idea of having his future set tied down has given him the shot in the arm that he's needed this season because Taka's been a guy that, again, he just seems to be a little bit middle of the road and stagnant in Moto2 right now. Um, But he's got a MotoGP seat underneath him now. But that was a fantastic performance from Taka. That was just a, a race where... He got it right when it came to managing his tires and managing the pace, and he and he, you know, he he timed it perfectly. Even when Bassini was was bearing down and him right towards the end, Sacco kept a cool head and you know, kept it upright and, and and took what was a pretty comfortable victory in the end. Mm. So yeah, well done mm. to him. Yeah, it was. It was it was astonishing because as I say, around the third distance, Matt Bidies appeared to be in a different class to everybody else with Morbidelli and Marquez out front, um, and then it. At first, I thought it was just the two of them slowing each other down um, as they battled with each other because all of a sudden, Nakagami started chasing them down at half a second a lap um, during the Grand Prix. And then even when Morbidelli was on his own, um, of course, we later found out he had a clutch problem, Nakagami just kept catching him um, and went on to win the Grand Prix. Um, Second career win for Nakagami. And as we said last week when it was announced, he he hasn't really looked like a MotoGP rider in waiting this year. But then as soon as he gets the call up, gets the contract and then gets it officially confirmed, he suddenly starts looking like one. Um, Funny how that works. Just how you suddenly seem to grow in stature. You grow within your own shoes um, when that news is announced. Um, So Nakagami justifying that decision to uh, put him on an LCR Honda next season with victory. Ahead of Matteo Pessini in second place, um, another quirk of Grand Prix racing. Pessini, who'd gone a decade without a pole position prior to that pole that he got at Bruno, he's now had three on the trot um, in Moto2, uh, including an incredible quirk in Saturday qualifying when his first two time laps of qualifying were exactly the same lap time to the thousandth of a second. Uh, yes. Back to back. Consistency. Yeah, mm. that is taking consistency to a whole new level from Matteo Pessini. It was extraordinary. Um, both of those laps would have been quick enough for pole as well. Um, the guy was incredible mm-hmm. in qualifying and um, backed it up in the race. A bit of a yo-yo race for Pessini because he drifted back early on, looked like he was going to be in a battle for sort of fourth or fifth with Luti um, and guys like that. And then just later the race went on. Of course, the Mount VDS riders fell by the wayside. Pessini suddenly came back into contention and very nearly won it. Very much so. If that race is a lap longer, it would have been a very interesting finish. Um, yeah, Pacini, you know, suffered early on, but got to grips with the tyres, found pace late on, and was was the fastest man on track for the second half of that race. And, and yeah, very nearly would go on to win. If that race was one lap longer, it would have been very interesting indeed. Um, but yeah, great ride from Pacini again. Needed one of those after a bit of a bumpy Bruno. 
um, and whatnot. So again, good good return to form for Pasini on that one. Yeah, uh, very very strong result for him, Pasini, who is still sixth in the world championship. But it looks like being a close battle with the likes of Banyaya, Oliveira, and perhaps Marquez um, to take third overall. Um, later in the season, particularly if Marquez continues to throw it at the scenery. Um, so Pacini second, Morbidelli third, Thomas Luti fourth. Now, we'll take his race in isolation for the moment, because of course there was some big news surrounding Luti announced at the start of the weekend, which we'll cover when we get to the news segment in a little bit. Um, but sticking with Moto2 Luti for now, um, we did say leading into this Grand Prix that with the races gradually whittling away and ticking away, Luti's going to have to start beating Oliver, uh, Morbidelli eventually. Um, now, by no means was fourth, right behind Morbidelli, one spot behind him, a disastrous result for Luti. But now, it's getting into the realms where Championship is starting to slip away from Luti because he's got to start beating Franco, and he's just not beating him. Indeed. I mean, we worked it out already, mathematically speaking. It's out of Luti's hands. He's 29 points behind. Morbidelli can win the title with five second-place finishes now. So Luti mathematically can't win this on his own anymore. He needs he needs to start beating either Frankie beats himself or he has to start beating Frankie head-to-head because it's just not happening for Thomas. Like, this, this was a golden chance as well, given that Morbidelli had a clutch problem, and yet Luti was still two seconds behind him when the time the finish came around. Like, it's not that Luti's having a bad season. This has been his best year in Moto2 by a country mile, and in any other circumstance... Fourth would be a solid result, but in the context of him as a title contender, it's just not good enough. No, I mean, um, just looking at the campaign and the calendar for this season um, so far, um, we were at race 12. The British Grand Prix was race 12 of the season, Dre. Do you want to have a guess how many of those races where they've both finished that Luti's beaten Morbidelli? Pardon? Was that, was that one more time? We've had 12 races so far this season. Um, of those 12, mm. how many of them, with both on track, do you think Luti has beaten Morbidelli in? I want to say one, and that was Bruno, wasn't it? Uh, he's been, well, slightly more than that. He's beaten him three times uh, three this times season. Well. Those three were uh, Mugello, where Luti was second to Morbidelli's fourth. <laughs> Catalonia, where Luti was second again to Morbidelli's fifth. Uh, and Bruno, as you say, Luti the winner with uh, Morbidelli in eighth. But that, mm-hmm. that's, that's a quarter of the races. So Morbidelli is effectively 75 to 25 um, versus Luti. Um, and... That's just that's just not the way to win a world championship. I mean, it's it's the quirks of the course, the point system that there's no reason why Morbidelli might crash at Mazzano. Luti wins the race, and it's a four point championship again. Um, yeah. But it's 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 almost in some ways going the same way as the World Supersport Championships going, where Mahias is staying in it even though he's just not beating Savoglu in that championship. And um, right. it's now becoming it's now becoming essential. Luti's got to beat Morbidelli. But yeah, it's it's just a sense of how that season's gone that. Only three occasions this season that they both made the finish with Luti ahead of Morbidelli. They do, they do appear to be slightly um, a class apart uh, when they both finish. And, of course, they're going to be teammates next year, of course, in MotoGP. Let us not forget. Um, but Luti, fourth by no means a disaster, but not really what he needs at this stage of the season. Um, tell you who did have a good weekend, though, and that's the Sky VR46 team, um, who continued to have a decent Moto2 season. Francesco Bagnaia in fifth. That we have seen before. Um, but for one straight, it wasn't just Banyaya flying the flag for the team. Something about Silverstone seems to bring the best out of Stefano Manzi, and I'm still not sure what. I don't know what it is. Like It must be something in the air around Milton Keynes. But um, it's, I don't know what it is, but Stefano Manzi just breaks out these big boy performances 
right here. It's 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 incredible. It is a it's like I don't know how he does it, but he's just so good at sorting. And this was another great performance where he finishes in seventh place, just a handful of seconds off the win. Um, and yeah, like he's been he's been pretty poor this season in Moto Two for pretty the most poor. part. I mean, I'm, I'm being nice, um, but when, especially when, Pe- when Peko has been so good this season, um, and we we're talking about him and MotoGP seats in the near future. But Manzi has been has been pretty poor um, this season in Moto2. But again, he just broke out a big boy performance there. Very helpful. Yeah, I, I, I want to know what his what was his best results so far this season. Let's let's have a look at his results so far. Stefano Manzi had a best result of fifteenth. Uh, that's the Saxon ring. That was his best result so far this season, and that was his only point of the season. Um, he then suddenly goes from, sure. you know, every single qualifying performance up to then was in the 30s or the 20s. Um, his best qualifying result before turning up at Silverstone was 25th on the grid. No, 24th at Le Mans. He then turns up at Silverstone, where he went from 31st on the grid to finish 4th in the Moto3 race as a wild card last year. Qualifies 15th and finishes 7th. Cannot explain that at all, but for some reason, Stefano Manzi seems to like Silverstone, and that was the ride, of course, last year at Silverstone in the Moto3 race that convinced Valentino Rossi to sign him to his Moto2 team. Um, right. So, um, yeah, it's amazing. It just seems to be that one circuit where it really works um, for Manzi. Let's see if uh, at uh, another home round for him and for the team, even if their uh, de facto team boss might not be there, uh, if Manzi can get a good result again at Mizano next time out. Behind him were the two Red Bull KTMs of Miguel Oliveira and Brad Binder, who finished line of third, eighth and ninth. Um, kind of a tail of what might have been for Oliveira, given that he took the car park route midway through. Oh, Miguel, unlucky on that one. Yeah, it went, went a bit off-road there and never really recovered from there, unfortunately. But a, a, a very solid... Look, again, eighth again, under normal sort of would, be, would be fine for Miguel, but he's been so good this season that that's actually quite disappointing for Miguel's standards. But, um, yeah, not so good day at the office for Miguel, but um, given that his main, his main rival right now is Alex Marquez in the fight for third in the championship... Still six points gained, so hey, not, not it's not the end of the world for Miguel on that one. He'll, he'll take that. Yeah, he'll take it. Not a, not the worst result. I mean, it says a lot about where this team's at, I suppose, in their first season as a Moto2 outfit and a constructor in Moto2 for KTM that we're talking about eighth and ninth as a, a disappointing result for them. Yeah, um, no good. That just tells you where they're at at the moment. Of course, the... Uh, they were the third of the manufacturers' home because a speed-up beat them at the end. Simone Corsi in sixth. Um, but KTM's target for this season would be, I would, I would guess, to finish second uh, in that manufacturers' championship behind Calix, and they're still well on target uh, to do that at the moment. Um, the race result then from the Moto2 class uh, in Silverstone, Nakagami the winner by seven tenths of a second in the end from Pasini, who uh, made a late chase to try and catch him on the last lap, couldn't quite do it. He took second, Morbidelli third to extend his championship lead, with Luti fourth to lose more ground. Francesco Bagnaia fifth, ahead of Corsi on the speed up sixth. Manzi seventh, ahead of Oliveira and Binder, with Dominic Eger to tenth on the Kiefer racing suitor. Final points were taken by Marini, Luca Marini, Xavi Verge, Jorge Navarro, Alex Marquez, um, who did remount and finish 14th for two points, and Axel Pons in 15th position. Shout out, incidentally, for Jake Dixon of BSB, who finished 25th, um, and Tara McKenzie, um, although he might not want us to shout him out because he finished last in 30th, a minute and a half off the win. Um, but that's Psych. where he ended up, unfortunately, for the uh, reigning British Supersport champion. Championship standings then in Moto 2 more. Widelli leads now by 29, with five races to go um, in this class. 
Uh, Luti second. Um, Alex Marquez in third. Uh, that's a 68-point deficit to the leader with Oliveira fourth. Francesco Bagnaia fifth. Pasini is still sixth, although he's closed the gap on Bagnaia with that result. Nakagami level on points now with Pasini in sixth and seventh. Simone Corsi eighth. Dominic Egerton ninth. And Luca Marini is tenth in the championship uh, after the British Grand Prix. Uh, finally then, Moto3. And... Uh, <laughs> It sounds like we're replaying the record here. We do sound like a stuck record when we say that Moto3 was frigging awesome, but we have to call a spade a spade, Dre. Moto3 was frigging awesome again. It was. Like, Silverstone is the best home for this track. Uh, the best home for this for, for this class. It's, it's fantastic. It just it brings out the best in Moto3. And once again, another absolutely phenomenal race in Moto3. Yeah, absolutely phenomenal. A, a 23-bike leading group at one stage. Um, in that race before we started to see dropouts and of course we did have um, two dropouts which led to the unfortunate early stoppage of the race thank goodness that uh, Juan Frank Guevara was okay um, in the end he was taken out of that leading group which left us with a leading group of 20 uh, at the end um, and in the end what we got was a 1-2 for the Estrella Galicia team um, Aaron Canet leading home Anaya Bastianini um, from 17th and 16th on the grid respectively uh, now um, we've spoken a lot about the chaos and the uh, farcical nature of moto 3 qualifying and the uh, fact that everyone's desperate to get a toe um, in moto 3 qualifying this year well dre the silverstone race proved that they're all wasting their time because you can win from the sixth row anyway yeah what's the way what's the point of qualifying again <laughs> like, like just do grids in reverse championship order and have done with it like sort it well, we, we, we've, we've spoken about all this crap about, you know, riders on slip streams and all that fun stuff in Moto3 to see. Like, just get rid of it. Like, just just, just have reverse grids you know, the whole way through and, you know, sort of quarterflying. Like, if they're winning from 17th, then what's the point, really? Um, yeah, brilliant stuff from Canet. And, and a, a rare, great result from Bastianini this season. He's, he's kind of gone AWOL this year, but that was a... That was the Bastianini of last season, right here, and that was that was that was a nice to see him back there in good form again. Um, because Galicia probably needed someone like that because I mean, Canet's been great, but Ine has been dis been disappointing again this year. But yeah, a fantastic one to do, especially given from how far back they were on the grid to start off with. So disappointing, in fact, Bastianini. That's his first podium of the season. Um, incredibly, he's only had a couple of fourth places to show for really this season. Um, for Bastianini, fourth at the Circuit of the Americas and in Barcelona. Um, but other than that, that's been as good as it's been for an Air Bastianini um, so far this season. Just to emphasise, by the way, how um, silly this qualifying is. Uh, of course, Romano Fanati went out and murdered them in qualifying at the end, all on his own, without a slipstream. Enough said. Um, so yeah. why are they all playing around following when uh, the guy, just as Jorge Martinez has done on a few occasions this season, went out and curb stomped them all on his own without a toe? Um, but anyway. Um, a bit of a shame, though, as we said, without wanting to take anything away from Australia Glacier and their first 1-2 in Moto3 since Rins and Marquez were on their bikes. Um, but we were, it was just getting good. I mean, it was good all the way through, wasn't it? But we were just gearing up for that last lap dogfight for the win with guys like Livio Loy and Gabriel Rodrigo hitting the front partway around that final lap. And then the red flag comes out to ruin it all. No! Hashtag anti-climax. Oh, that was the last thing we needed. It's the last lap dash for the line, and we then we were robbed of it due to due to that late red flag. Obviously, completely understandable given what had happened. But because um, Guevara did look legitimately very hurt in that accident, luckily yeah. it seems only a concussion. Yeah. 
yeah, he was out cold. So you obviously had to red flag it if he's out cold like that. Um, again, glad it was it was a concussion and nothing nothing more. But um, yeah, we were robbed of a last lap finale for sure. The selfish bike fan in me would have liked to have seen a proper conclusion to that, unfortunately. But hey, um, the the previous twenty odd laps were, were pretty darn good, so I'm not complaining. No, I mean <laughs> some of the images that we had. Um, I mean, MotoGP always do a great job with the way they. They broadcast these races, the TV direction of it, and some of the helicopter shots we get. Some of those images of them going five, six wide down the hangar straight um, were absolutely just blistering to watch. It was just fantastic to watch these guys. Um, some of the skill and the bravery involved and how close they were getting to each other um, was brilliant. And and a key result for Canet. I mean, it, it's probably come a little too late for him to win this year's World Championship. Um, he'll probably be looking more next year for, for his shot because he is 64 points behind championship leader uh, Joanne Mir. Um, but it's it came at a good time for him, didn't it? Because he's had a poor three races. One at the Saxon Ring. Uh, or sorry, pole in the Saxon Ring and then fell off. Won the race before that uh, at Assen. Um, but a dodgy run of results since then, it has to be said. And he'd kind of gone quiet as Mir and Fanati had taken upon the, the front of races to themselves and had a couple of head-to-heads that, of course, Mir had won the lot of them. Um and it was strange because Canet had looked like the man to beat right throughout pre-practice, just as he had at the Circuit of the Americas right. early in the season, and then suddenly went missing in qualifying uh, and started right the way down the grid in 17th. Um, yeah. And to be fair, it was a timely return to form for Canet. And whatever we say about the, the circumstances of his victory, it was a victory that you can't say Canet didn't earn because he was right the way up the front right throughout. Absolutely. He was right there from the get-go. And as you say, like Canet has been inconsistent pretty much his entire moto free career so far he's been inconsistent i mean the year one it was the same sort of story year two he's obviously the upsides have gotten a lot brighter for him but at the same time he still had those very nondescript very quiet races now i know a lot of that is down to the nature of moto free itself or a bad day will put you in 15th place but at the same time yeah i expected a bit more from canada this year and again he's delivered on that front and yeah, he's probably left it a little bit too late to consider himself a title threat now. But by any measure, like this, this is this is a really good, really reassuring performance in Canada. Yeah, he is good enough to be here right now. Yeah, and, third win of the year for Canada, and he could quite easily have had a four or five. Yeah, absolutely. He's been in contention for two or three more of these. Um, I, I still remember Kota. He probably should have won. Yeah. Um, given how fast he was there, he was a tracer missile around that circuit. But again, was beaten up by the Romano Fanati bear trap, <laughs> basically. So um, yeah, it's 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 just been it's just been all sorts of weird right now. But yeah, kind of it's always had the pace to be able to do it. But it's 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 just not quite worked out for him on a consistent basis. No, it hasn't. And uh, yeah, it worked out for him in this race to take the victory. And as we mentioned, Dre. Second place behind him, his teammate, Anea Bastianini. Um, and I had to double-check that. I, I, I read it out a moment ago through the uh, results sheet that's ahead of me um, as we record this. And I had to double-check it as we were talking. It really is Anea Bastianini's first podium of 2017. I mean, where's this guy been all year? I, oof, I, I don't know, man. This, I... this was the move that he'd been trying to get for a year and a half from the Castilla right. team to Estrella Galicia. He finally got that move, and he's been he's had his doors blown off by Aaron Cannon all year. <sighs> and Nea Bastianini is going to be a very weird case when it's all said and done with him, because, as you say, like 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 last year, it looked like Nea had finally put it all together. 
got that first win at Misano. You know, his qualifying pace was insanely good at times. Like, just, just again, a rocket on certain tracks in terms of qualifying. But, like, I, like, I had Nan as my, as my title favourite this year. I thought this was going to be the year he's going to take another step forward and really start maybe racking up the wins. Just hasn't happened the last two years. And, he, again, as you say, he's finally gotten that Galicia, which he's always wanted. And then Canet's come along and beaten the brakes off him. So, and it doesn't help now because he's going to Leopard next year. And he's going to be the headline piece of that Leopard team next year, most likely. And, well, goodness only knows that that's going to turn. And that could be, that could be a mixed bag, to say the least, because... Like you, you're replacing Joanne Mir, who's having one of the one of the great lightweight class seasons right now. That's big boots to fill, and I'm not sure if he's at that level where he can where he can handle that. Yeah, it's almost for me. It's like any any to use a cricket analogy. It's almost like he's trying to put a fielder somewhere where the ball's just gone. It's like it's like oh well, this team's done a great job this season, so let's go there. Um, and you know, he, he went to he, he's wanted to go to Australia Galicia ever since they were winning the championship with Alex Marquez. Um, you know that's a, it's, it, it stemmed from around that time, of course, when Bastianini at that time was with the Grassini team, and he's wanted to move ever since. So now he wants to go to the team that, with Mia, is dominating this year. Um, has it not occurred to him that maybe it's not the teams? Maybe part of it is the rider sitting on the bike um, that's really making maybe this thing so. work. And, and you know, just get your head down with the team you're at, because look how well the Grassini team's doing without him. I mean, Jorge Martin and Fabio Di Gian Antonio are fourth and fifth in the championship this year. Both ahead of Bastianini, might I add. Um, so I, I just I just wonder whether this kid, because of course there was a lot of talk about his agent around the time of his move that fell through to Astrogalicia. I just wonder whether this kid's being badly advised personally, um, because just just get your head down and ride the bike and show us all how good you are, because we all know how good he can be. Um, you know, he's he's a guy that can, if he's if he's right, can challenge for a world championship in this class. He was for the first half of 2015, he was the guy chasing Danny Kent down. Um, for the Moto3 title, and last year he came through in the end to finish in the top three of last year's championship two um, in Moto3. Um, but I don't know; it just strikes me like he keeps trying to chase the right team in Moto3 rather than just sticking at it with the team he's at and getting his head down, um, which is what I would like to see Bastianini do. As I mentioned, he is ninth in the championship this season, and that was his first podium of the season in this class. Um, a few riders elsewhere who might wish they were on the podium and might feel they deserve to be on the podium. Gabby Rodrigo being Wondre, um, who has really stood up since the summer break as a real front-running guy. I mean, that's three straight front rows for him, two poles and then a strong front row again at Silverstone. And um, he, along with Livio Loy, were leading the race at one point on that final lap, just as the red flag comes out. Um, starting to look like a guy who for a long time was just a, a guy who had shades of or flashes of pace and crashed a lot. Rodrigo, as the season's gone on, is starting to look much more like the finished article with that RBA team. He does. And again, even more so given he's on a KTM, which we know has not been the best of bikes this year compared to the Hondas. So it, it highlights even more impressively how Rodrigo's been in the second half of this season. As you say, he's always been a bit of a crasher. And again, again good moments of pace, but inconsistent to say the least. And yeah, absolutely. Absolutely right. Yeah, he's starting to put it together now, and that was a very that was a very nice fourth place finish in contention. Probably would have won the race if the race had you know had gone the distance. He was right up there and could have easily done so. It's just a shame it didn't quite work out for him on this one. 
but yeah, as you say, that that like it's good to see the other RBA rider is having a good time up there at the front now as well. Yeah, career best in fourth. Of course, the team has had a podium this year with Guevara, who was on the podium at Mugello earlier in the year. Um, Rodrigo has to wait a little longer for his first podium. He was classified fourth, uh, just behind Jorge Martin, who um, has of course had his season interrupted by that broken leg back at the Saxon Ring, and. Um, we, we can't give this guy enough credit, Dre, can we? I mean, he's come back since that broken leg, and he's still not fully fit, the poor guy, but in the two races he's finished since returning from injury, two podiums. Gritty, to say the least. Like, that. And like, he's, like he's, he's shown some real brass balls the last couple of rounds, Martin. And, yeah, while the qualifying pace hasn't quite been there, the, the race pace has taken another step forward. This was a, a pair of really solid podiums. Um, again, right up there challenging for the win. Again, given that a broken leg is no minor injury and it's one you're going to have to carry. If you're going to ride with it, you're going to have to walk, walk and live with it for, as, as it goes on. Um, so, yeah, you're absolutely right. It's, he's, 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 been real, he's been really gritty and has been a very, very strong and yeah, well-deserved. The, the credit is, 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 is deserved because he's done, he's, done so he's done so well yeah. since coming back from the leg injury. Fourth in the championship for Walker Martin. He's had six poles and six podiums. Um, this season, which by anyone's measure is a fantastic season for Jorge Martin. Um, someone get this guy a race victory somewhere. He really, really deserves one um, so far uh, with the performances he's put in uh, this season. Um, right, elsewhere in Moto3, um, the championship leader. We'd be remiss not to mention him. It wasn't quite a Joan Mir masterclass on, on this occasion, Dre. Um, but given where Romano Fanati finished and given with uh, increasingly few races to go, a fifth will do Joan Mir just fine. Yeah, absolutely. Again, his main title rival, Romano Fanati, was seventh, two spots back um, on, on the Honda. So, again, like this this, this was a strong performance from Mir. Again, you, you're never going to be begrudge a guy too hard for finishing four tenths off the win in a Moto3 race. Just wasn't quite there on this one. But in the lead, the impact was scrappy, a solid fifth place. No real major rival in front of him. Um, really, the way to maybe make a maybe Canada, but he's probably left it too late anyway. He, he can he can live with with, with giving Canada a few points. Fanati's the main threat, and Fanati was behind them again. So Mir will, will gladly take that another top ten finish for Mir, which he's, he's had pretty much all of them this year, which is ridiculous. Yeah, he, um, he did very well, given that once again it looked like we had a repeat of Aston at one point, like the executive order was being carried out again on Porto and Mir. Um, in that race at Substance, but credit to him, he managed to work his way back to the front, and uh, who knows, he might well, uh, having started the last lap in fifth, might well by the end of that last lap have fought his way through to another win, who would have known, we were saying he wouldn't have put it past him, um, Joanne Mir, um, given that his teammate Livio Aloy went from sixth to lead it uh, at one point on that last lap before the red flags came out. Um, Romano Fanati, as I mentioned, in seventh um, from the pole position. His weekend went the opposite way around to normal, where he tends to go forward from his grid position. Um, Fanati learning that Probably not advisable to try and go around the outside of everyone at every corner at Silverstone. It very rarely works. Um, credit to him for trying. Um, Fanati finishing seventh. I loved his enthusiasm and his bravery slash stupidity uh, in trying to overtake people around the outside of Stowe Corner on every lap. Um, didn't work. He finished seventh. The result in the end, Canic the winner from Bastianini. Estrella Garcia won two. Martin third for Cassini. Rodrigo fourth for RBA. Then came the two Leopard riders of Mia and Loy fifth and sixth. Fanati seventh ahead of Andrea Migno. Um, for Sky VR46, KTM in 8th, Philip Ertl 9th, and Fabio Di Gian Antonio, who went off into the car park twice during that Grand Prix, 
finished 10th despite all of that, just a second and a half off the race winner. Uh, Tatsuki Suzuki 11th ahead of Adam Noradin and British talent team's John McPhee at the British Grand Prix in 13th. Uh, Nakarin Adirat Fubapat 14th, Manuel Pagliani 15th on the Mahindra. They were all in the leading group, incidentally, and rounded out the points. Nicolo Antonelli was next up in 16th. He did not score points despite finishing uh, just four seconds off the race winner. One other rider who deserves a shout-out is Tom Booth Amos, the uh, British youngster from the uh, Motostar Championship, a wild card this weekend. He finished 21st for his debut Grand Prix, which is essentially he won the second group behind the battle for the lead. Um, so a cracking out for, our, our outing for him on his debut in the class. Um, his teammate for the weekend, Joe Ar Jake Archer, unfortunately crashed out of the race. Uh, championship standings then uh, in Moto3 with uh, increasingly few races to go. Joanne Mir takes another step towards the World Championship with that result at the weekend. Uh, he has 226 points, which is a lead of 64 now over Canet, who takes second from Fanati. Uh, Fanati is two points behind the Spaniard. Uh, Jorge Martin is fourth on 121. That's 105 off the lead. Um, and 20 clear of his teammate Dijan Antonio in fifth. John McPhee is sixth, ahead of Marcos Ramirez, who crashed out of the British Grand Prix. He's seventh. Andrea Mignot, eighth. And Ea Bastianini is ninth. Um, and Philip Ertel is now into the top ten in tenth, ahead of Juan Fran Guevara, who we wish all the best after the concussion he picked up at Silverstone last weekend. Onto the news and uh, a lot of rider movement ahead of next year to tell you about uh, on this week's edition of Bike Life because, of course, this show is taking place or being recorded a full 10 days after the last one was recorded. So a lot has happened since then. A lot of news that was broken in the run-up to the British Grand Prix and plenty that's broken since. Not least, Dre, the news that I think everybody who um, has a heart and follows Moto2 is delighted with. The news that Thomas Lutie finally gets the MotoGP spot he's been yearning for for a decade. Yeah, my gosh. I think he, he has been in that intermediate class, I want to say, since 2008, I think. Um, I'm going to have a quick Google of that real quick while I talk Sounds about this. Right. But yeah, I think he was the 125 champion in 07, 06, 07. Something like that. Yeah, hang on. I've got it here. Yeah, he graduated into the 250cc class in 2007. So, yeah, you're absolutely right. He has spent a literal 11 years in the intermediate class and being a yeah, perennial yeah. front runner pretty much all of that yeah like since 2010 he's not finished out of the top five which is crazy um, I mean, again, he's probably been the yardstick i mean probably every season when a moto two season started yeah, we probably look at it and say if you beat thomas luti in moto two you're onto something absolutely like he's been the gatekeeper for forever and a day in moto two and in the intermediate class in general and as you say, chalk one up for one of the good guys. Luti has been around for donkey's years, and now he's always been a, a, a capable rider. He, he's turned himself into a race winner pretty much year in and year out now in Moto2. He's gotten better every year. He's going to be better again this year. He's, he's deserved the MotoGP seat, and I'm glad he's gotten the gig, especially given that MotoGP tends to be a class of where it's a little bit ageist now, where... 
these these teams are looking for the next great young talent, the next Mark Marquez, the next Maverick Vinales, and some of the older, more experienced riders are never going to get that chance because you know they 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 want long term loyalty and longevity, which is always going to be a big ask in a highly competitive sport like MotoGP, where the big teams are always going to be looking for the next guy. So the fact that <clears throat> you know the fact that Saluti after all this time and at the age of 31 is going to be getting this MotoGP chance um, very soon is, is a real feel good moment um, for, for, for MotoGP. He's been, he's been worthy of, of that class for some time now. And I'm glad he's getting the opportunity at last. Absolutely. Uh, one of the nice guys in that paddock. And um, yeah, it was, it was noticeable because they, they shoehorned him into the pre-race press conference on the Thursday. He wasn't scheduled to be in there. It was scheduled to be um, six riders from the MotoGP class. Those six being, uh, Marquez, Pedroza, Davizioso, Crutchlow, uh, Redding, and Vinales. And yet, with the news that was broken, they brought Thomas Luti in um, to make it a seventh man in that press conference. And just the warmth towards him um, was noticeable. Everyone was delighted for Thomas Luti. And he's got to surely take, take heart and take inspiration from the likes of Zarco this year, who isn't exactly a spring chicken by rookie terms. I mean, we're used to seeing guys... Um, enter the MotoGP class at sort of 2021. The likes of Marquez and Mignales entered this class at very young ages and it was almost viewed as if unless you get into MotoGP by that age, you're you're perhaps not one of those top tier guys. But Jean Zarco has proven this year at what, he's mid-20s? And he's into into the MotoGP class and he's proven that no matter how young or old you are, fast is fast. Um, Exactly. Zarco Zarco has shown it this season and uh, Thomas Luti should look at Zarco and say, well, I was every bit in the match for him for most of last year in the Moto2 class. Absolutely. Um, so who's to say that when I step on that Honda next year uh, for the Estrella Galicia Mark VDS team, which uh, is the team he's joining next year, that he can't do a very, very good job. And I guess it adds a, another interesting dimension to the Moto2 championship fight that we've got towards in this season, Drake, because, of course, his teammate will be Franco Morbidelli. Yeah, like, that's funny. Like, if, so in other words, if you're, if you're Frankie Morbidelli, it's like, oh... We're just gonna we're just gonna sign one and two in the championship. Well, that seems like a strangely logical way of going about yourself yes. next year. Yeah, why not, right? And yeah, they're gonna get them both, which is again very sound logic. You you've got your young talent for the future um, in in Morbidelli, and you've also got a very experienced guy like Thomas Luti that's gonna be a great yardstick for everybody and you know a great teammate to have in there. So yeah, absolutely here for it. Great great stuff. All, all, all in. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you can uh, you can imagine Ian Wheeler already uh, drafting the uh, Mark Vidyas press list for next season because he already knows he's going to have the reigning Moto2 champion um, in his in his team for next year and almost certainly the runner-up as well. We don't quite know yet which of the order the two will be in. Um, what we do know, though, is that with Luti leaving for Mark Vidyas in GP, that left the Interveten Moto2 team, which has ran Luti pretty much ever since he's been in the class, in a bit of a hole to try and fill the spot. Because a very professional team in the Moto2 class. So in terms of looking for a replacement, Dre, for Luti, I don't think they could have done an awful lot better than Sam Lowe's. Uh, no. And again, like Lowe's, I think he might have gone into that class next year as the championship favourite because yeah, he Marquez, is... I think, yeah. Yeah, because again, he was a proven multiple race winner in Moto2 last season and, you know, was doing a, a really, really good job over there. Um, and yeah, like looking looking forward to, to seeing how he gets on you know, to spearhead a pro- proper outfit like Interwit, and that is a really, really good outfit. So uh, yeah, looking forward to seeing how that, how that goes in the long run. 
But, uh, whew, man, uh, that's, that's, that's a nice guy that Inter Wim were able to get. And I'm glad that Sam Lowe's has been given a second chance somewhere because yeah. um, the way the way, he, the way he dropped out of that was, you know, was probably quite unfair. Yeah, very, very uh, disappointing. And, yeah, you're right to make that point. As much as we look at it from the team's point of view and the fact they picked up a stellar rider at that level, um, very, very happy to see Sam Lowe's land on his feet. He could quite easily Absolutely. have landed in on very little at all, left himself with a very poor Moto2 ride. Um, but as it is, he's picked up one of the plum rides in the paddock with perhaps the most professional team in that class. The Intervetan squad are a stunning outfit um, with, with Thomas Luti for, for a number of years and Sam Lowe's, you'd expect, just to slot seamlessly into that team um, and challenge for the championship with them. One other name to mention, because he's not in our running order that we put together before the show, but have you seen the rumours this week, Dre, of who's been linked with the Pons Moto 2 ride next year? Did I see Hector Barbara? Hector Barbara, yeah. Oh, oh my god really imagine we're doing that. this Hector Barbara imagine that yeah, um, Barbara and Sam Lowe's in the Moto2 class yeah well I mean we started out you started out the history of, of that with you know you know like older riders coming back in like Tony Elias it was the inaugural champion well you have uh, to wonder whether we're going to see more of this because it's the, the MotoGP panic as a whole has never been as talent filled as it is this year with the likes of the British Talent Cup with the likes of the uh, Junior World Championship, the Asia Talent Cup, um, all of these different feeder series. Um, there are only so many rider slots on the grid of each three classes for riders to fit into. Um, and there are so many quality riders that aren't even on that MotoGP grid. Surely we're going to see more of this, aren't we? With, with so many quality riders coming up from Moto2 and Moto3 that these teams are going to want to sign up. Surely we're going to see in the future more and more quality riders having to take the step the other way. Yeah, it looks that way because the top class is too stacked. Yeah, they're too stacked, and they're go going somewhere. through. Yeah, they're going. It's too stacked, and they're going through talent too quickly. If Sam Lowe's is getting chopped after a year, then it's, it, it says a lot that you know classes are willing to just roll through talent. And if, especially if we get a good year in Moto Two, where you know four or five guys, um, you know, could end up being bumped up in a year like we had last year with. You know, Volga and Zarco and Rins and Lowe's all getting the all getting promoted. Like the conveyor belt's going to have to move the other way soon, otherwise it's just going to get ridiculous. <laughs> so yeah, 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 I, 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 superbikes. yeah um, I think it's I think it's definitely inevitable that's going to keep happening. <laughs> yeah, uh, so it looks like well, we know Lowe's is. Uh, it looks, I mean, we already saw Yoni Hernandez this year do it. Uh, as you mentioned, Elias has done it in the past, and uh, it's looking more and more likely that Hector Barbara will go the other way as well. Um, that would be a team of uh, generations, wouldn't it, if uh, Barbara was teammates with Fabio Quattararo next year uh, in the mm-hmm. Pons team uh, in Moto2. Um, Moto3 news, two rider signings to tell you about. Um, of course, there are more that may well be announced in future weeks, but these are two we know about. Um, Platinum Bay Real Estate uh, responding, um, we have to give them credit for this, responding very quickly to that impressive debut outing by Jean Massia in Austria. Um, doing what I think any sensible team manager would have done, and that's sign this guy down for two years. Yes, um, good idea, great resigning. Can't argue with that in slightest. Whew, um, yeah, yeah I, 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 a very smart call on that one, if you ask me. <laughs> yeah, and uh, we don't know yet if uh, a if he'll have a teammate and b who it'll be. Whether uh, Marcos Ramirez stays at that team or not, you'd expect someone to pick him up. Um, but we shall see. Um, but it doesn't. We certainly don't think that uh, Darren Binder will be his teammate. 
um, because the likelihood is that he is going to the IO team, the uh, re-streamlined uh, IO team, which looks like it's going to be just a one-rider lineup with no Red Bull backing next year uh, in the Moto3 class. Um, because we already know, uh, and this is another one that I haven't included in the running order, but this was announced last week. We know that Bo Benchneider is heading to Tech 3 in Moto2 next year. Um, which is a very interesting rider signing. Ben Schneider, who um, has done a solid job at times this year in the Moto3 class, but by all accounts, he's just way too big for the Moto3 bikes. Um, yeah, so, um, so getting on a Moto2 might well be the best thing for him, even if his results don't scream his Moto2 rider in waiting. Yeah, exactly. Moto2, just as just, just a class, might just be a better fit for him, really, than, uh, than than going through what he's had to go through recently in Moto3. He's just a little bit too small. Uh, well, a bit, I should say, for, for these bikes, and the bikes themselves are very small. Um, he's probably a better guy in Moto2. And, yeah, absolutely. I think that could be a good fit for him at Tech3. You know, that they've had good results with Danny Vierge this year. And, you know, Ben Schneider on a better bike and a better fit could, you know, could definitely... Um, could definitely surprise some people. Yeah, he could. And uh, as I say, with Binder and Bench, uh, with Bench Schneider, should I say, uh, out of that team, um, Darren Binder slotting in. We know that because the other rider currently at that Red Bull KTM IO team um, is also on the move, Dre. And um, it, no one can argue that Nicola Antonelli's switch to IO has worked this year. Um, so perhaps a switch to the uh, Paolo Simoncelli 658 team might well be the best thing for him. Absolutely, a fresh start and a, a very loving team. That you know, a, a real labour of love, like the Six Fifty Eight department. Um, yeah, that, that that could be, you know, that could be that could be a real good spot for him. So, yeah, I completely agree. And that's a that's a that's a nice move there. Yeah, a rider who looked like his his confidence was just through the floor at various stages this season. Antonelli, um, he you know the pressure that was on him as the rider to join the team that always seems to turn good riders into great ones. Um, and the expectation was perhaps that Antonelli was going to receive that same bump up um, by moving to the IO team. It just hasn't happened for him this year. So with a change of scenery, um, moving to an Italian team um, with a, a team boss in Paolo Simoncelli who will, as you say, probably put an arm around him and, and make him feel loved. Not that not the Aki IO necessarily hasn't done that, um, but um, perhaps with an Italian team, Antonelli will feel more at home um, and we'll get to see the real Antonelli again in Moto3. Um calendar news uh, and moves uh, next year to extend the calendar to 18 races for 2018 we now know that because of the news that's been pretty much on the cards all year that we will now have a Thai Grand Prix in 2018 because Buriram the host of World Superbikes for the last couple of years will now be the newest MotoGP venue the worst kept secret in MotoGP at this point uh, um, yeah I completely agree with you on that one that is that's pretty much how it is now. Um, yeah, like Thailand, good spot. I mean, the Thailand guys are going to go crazy because they love their bikes over there. They absolutely I mean, they love sell out for World Superbikes. Yeah, World Superbikes was huge because they have a lot of Thai influence in the grid, especially in the super sport class. The wild cards will come out to play on that one for sure. We'll probably get some of those in Moto Three and Two as well. So that'll be that'll be great to see. But uh, whew, oh man. Um, yeah, Thailand's going to be a fun one. And I think those last two corners are going to be great for GP racing. Um, so, yeah, really looking forward to seeing how that goes. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, yeah, I mean, Valentino Rossi wasn't a fan of it when it was uh, put to him uh, a couple of months ago. Um, but the World Superbike races I've seen there have been pretty good. Uh, I mean, the, yes. the, the the Ray versus Sykes battle of twenty uh, early 2016 um, was one of my favourite races of last year, not just because Tom yeah. Sykes won it before anyone says it, um, but uh, it was oh, yeah. a, it was a great battle. The sort of the 
the fast sort of sweep sweeping s bends of the the middle part of that lap just lend themselves to great wheel-to-wheel racing don't they um and there's a, there's a heavy braking point into the last corner which uh um proved the uh the nemesis of um christian gamarino in the world Supersport race earlier this year when uh kyle smith came flying up the inside of him um but uh but yeah i think it's a circuit that will lend itself to good racing particularly in moto three um so um yeah thailand the newest venue on the MotoGP calendar which means we should get a draft calendar um very very soon um Absolutely. we'd expect thailand to be back to back with malaysia towards the end of next season uh, with Mategi and Philip Island back to back as well. Rather than having three races in consecutive weekends, we'll have two back to backs of two each, um, which will probably be a little bit easier for all concerned. Um, next year, of course, Finland on the calendar in 2019, too, when we'll head to 19 rounds. 20 perceived to be the limit. Um, and uh, we're closing in on that limit uh, in MotoGP. Um, right then, let's get to the big news that you've probably all read before this show has been recorded. News that literally broke as we recorded this. Um, or as we started recording this. Um, now, Medical Bulletin has been released as we spoke. Literally, whilst we were talking Moto3, a further update came from the Movistar Yamaha team. Doesn't really give you a lot of information about Rossi's status, but here is what we know at the time of recording. Um, I appreciate this will probably all be redundant by the time you listen to this. But anyway, following an enduro training accident on Thursday, August 31st, which is the day we're recording this, Movistar Yamaha MotoGP star Valentino Rossi, as I read the press release, was diagnosed with displaced fractures of the tibia and fibula of his right leg. The 38-year-old Italian rider will undergo surgery as soon as possible, and a further medical bulletin will be issued later on Friday morning, September 1st, or yesterday, uh, as you listen to this. So you'll already know what that medical bulletin uh, entails. Uh, now, that is what we know at the time of recording this, Dre. Um, mm-hmm. So, this puts us in the same position that we were at when Rossi had that training accident in the lead-up to Mugello, and we didn't know how badly injured his ribs were. Um, there is no mention in this press release of Valentino Rossi's status for Mizano, which of course is his home home round um, right. this time next week. But surely, um, you and I, I think we'd both be absolutely staggered if we saw Rossi there. Yeah, I think I think his season is done. Um, yeah, I, I I just oof, yeah, I like this is not good. It's not good. It, like a, a double leg fracture is awful. Um, that's. About as bad as he can get outside of maybe ligament damage. I think it, it, I, I think he's done at least for at least until the fly flyaway rounds. I reckon. Um, I mentioned it to you off the air that the last time um, he broke his leg in 2010, um, it, it took him 40 days to recover to, to the point where he could race again. The Japanese Grand Prix at Mategi is 46 days away. That might be the target for Rossi to get back into get back on the bike in basically seven weeks. Um, because a double leg fracture is bad. Not to mention, is that he's 38 years old. He's probably not going to recover from this as fast as as, as someone in 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 peak physical condition could. I know Rossi's super fit for his age, but mm. he's not Marquez. He's not made of rubber anymore. Um, so that could be that could be difficult as well. Um, but in any case, it's just an awful, awful uh, leg injury from 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 Rossi there, and another case where. Just the unfortunate nature of motocross training. It's, you know, the training is great, but you know, fortunately, it comes with a level of risk. Mm, yeah, it does. And um, I mean, in terms of the championship, we mentioned this earlier on. We were going to talk about the championship, and we did in terms of the three that we have fighting for it. And I mean, Danny Pedrosa is still on the fringes, but it's looking now like it's going to be a three-way title fight. And whatever anybody thinks, whether you love Valentino Rossi or you hate him, it's it's such a sad way and such an unfortunate way for anyone's championship chances. 
to disappear. It's not like, I mean, all right, he's on the fringes of it at the minute, and he's probably the outsider of four. Um, but for any rider, you want to see their championship chances live and die by what they do on the track rather than what they're doing on enduro bike in training. Exactly. Like, nobody wants to see an injury curtail what's been a, another solid season from Valentino and another season where he's had a key role in, in the title race. And he probably still will have a, a key role in the title race. He just probably won't win it himself now. But yeah, you're absolutely right in, in, in that. Yeah, like, I don't want to see a title race come down to injury. I don't think anybody does in sport. I don't think anybody likes that. They, they want to leave it in the hands of the athlete themselves rather than through something that was no, no fault of their own. I mean, uh, there was a yeah. question asked of, there was a question asked it was David Emmett in fact who asked it in the post-race press conference on Sunday uh, where he asked the front three of the race Dovizioso, Vinales and Rossi what their predictions were for the championship if they had any idea which way the championship would go um, Dovizioso and Vinales kind of came with sort of politi- political sort of skirting around the question answers where they said oh it's impossible to say Valentino Rossi's answer was hilarious when he said, uh, my hope for the championship is that the four of us head to Valencia for the final round on equal points. We have beautiful sunny weather on Friday and Saturday, and then on Sunday it rains. (laughs) Which was, I admire his honesty, which was uh, what he was hoping this championship would boil down to um, for Valentino. Unfortunately, he won't end up going to Valencia equal points with the championship leader, sadly. Um, But, it is a shame because this MotoGP season has been so good. I think the championship, there's no question that the just the general buzz around the championship would have been even greater with Valentino Rossi in the fight for it going down to the final couple of races. Of doesn't look like it's going to happen now. Look at it last year. Like, look, look at it two years ago when people like Martin Brundle and Mark Webber. Yeah, and, it transcended you know, MotoGP Mark, that final round. Yeah, Mark Cavendish, they were all down there for that final race because it captured the, it captured the, the eyes of, of the world at that point. Um, so yeah, it's always a bit more exciting when Valentino Rossi's in it. It is, and in terms of what he does for the rest of the season, as you say, if he if his recovery time mirrors that of 2010, seven years ago, he might well be back for Mantegi. Um, now, I don't think anyone's necessarily expecting Valentino Rossi and Yamaha to think this way, because of course Yamaha will want their um, one of their premier two riders back as soon as possible um, to try and score points for the team and perhaps help Maverick. Um, and Valentino will want to come back as soon as possible so he can start winning again. Um, but given that his championship hopes are essentially gone if he doesn't race in Misano, um, would it not be best for Valentino Rossi physically and long-term for him just to sit the last few races out and come back in Qatar next year? I think there might be too much money on the table for that. To yeah, really that realistic. That's almost too logical and too safe. Yeah, I think it makes too much sense. I think, I mean, oof... I like your position is one of real sound logically. Like I totally get it. Like I like I like Rossi's gonna come back with nothing to fight for. He's probably better off just taking the rest of the season out. He can recover. He can go back to the ranch. He can motocross train to his heart's content and get ready to be in peak form next February when the next round of testing starts up for next season. And you know Rossi had to play catch up this year, so that would make even more sense. Especially given how well Vignard has adapted it early on and early early going, but he's Valentino Rossi. He's too big a draw to sit on the sidelines. People would get frustrated by that. It's, yeah. it's it reminds it reminds me a lot of the NBA when Derrick Rose tore his ACL back in 2012. The year the year um the year after he won his MVP, and they came back in the playoffs, and he was cleared to play in February. 
but Derek didn't want to rush the return back from his injury. Mm. Um, and when he didn't come back and he was on the sidelines trying to cheer his team on, the fans turned on him. And they were like, well, why aren't you out there playing, Derek? And it, it, it became really awkward. And as a result, he ended up walking away from the team two years later. Um, but it's, it's a similar sort of situation where it's like, they, I think the fans are too invested in Valentino to, to realistically expect him to sit on the sidelines and not race. I don't think that's the Valentino way no. either anyway. But um, no, logically, it, I mean, it makes a lot of sense. But this, this, this is Valley we're talking about here. Yeah, it reminds me a lot of, or this kind of scenario reminds me of um, Formula 1 1999. It's interesting because last night on Sky F1, um, they were showing their uh, Legends of F1 show with Eddie Irvine. Uh, I know that sounds like a contradiction. Um, but that's uh, that's the name of the show, and that's what they titled it. Um, now, what they, the story was, of course, Eddie Irvine challenged for the Formula 1 title in 1999 when Michael Schumacher got injured at Silverstone. Um, yeah. And... Michael Schumacher did not, in his heart of hearts, really want to return for the rest of the season. Understandably, because he didn't want to have to help Eddie Irvine win Ferrari's first world championship for two decades, which was what Michael Schumacher was signed to do. Um, until Luca de Montezemolo got wind, or got word, that Michael Schumacher was at home playing football in the back garden with his son, and therefore clearly wasn't as injured as he was letting on. Um, so, oh, the, so the team called Michael up and said, hey, you're clearly fit, we want you back in the car for Malaysia. Um... Basically, it's an instruction, it's an order, not a request. Um, and Michael was back in the car for the last two races and helped Eddie Irvine out. Not in the end enough to win the title, but he helped him out. Um, so, mm. so Yamaha, surely Yamaha are in the business of, they want to win this world championship. And although they probably, if they wouldn't admit it, kind of like Valentino Rossi to be the guy that wins it. In an ideal world, they want Valentino Rossi back as soon as possible because he could be quite a handy tool to help Maverick Vinales in the last few rounds. Absolutely. Um, the question on that one is, though, is that would Valentino Rossi be willing to help a teammate win? Because, again, not the best track record on this one. No. Um, Although he's probably getting on a lot better with his current teammate than he has his previous ones. And what's interesting as well here is we could well have a scenario towards the end of the season when we get to places like, say, I don't know, Sepang. <laughs> Um, where Valentino Rossi could be racing on track with guys like, I don't know, Mark Marquez, who's racing for a world championship. Um, and you wouldn't expect Valentino Rossi to necessarily take a backward step and stay out of the championship contender's way. Um, which we know what Valentino Rossi's opinion of riders who do that is, don't we, Dre? <laughs> not a hope in hell. Um, no, um, that's again not the Valentino way. If he's racing, he's there to win, and he's not—he's not gonna—he's not gonna help Maverick but out. Riders I, should I, be staying out of the championship contenders' way, Dre. Who that's, told that's you that, Michael? Right? <laughs> who told you that, Michael Laverty? Um, <laughs> no, Valentino. Uh, Valentino, right? Oh, yeah. You mean Valentino Rossi, the guy that was basically made contact with Jorge Lorenzo to rob him of winning the championship in 2010 yeah, at Mategi? I'm telling you this, don't come crying to me if you see a repeat of what happened two years ago with the roles completely reversed when we get to Malaysia in October. Calling it now. Yeah, it would not except, surprise except, me. Except Mark Marquez probably won't kick him. No, I don't think Marquez. I don't think Marquez is that sort of guy. But even so, it's like. That could get ugly. That could get very ugly very quickly because, uh, whew, oh boy. Because he's, um, he's going to have nothing to lose when he comes back. He's not going to have the championship to fight for. He's basically going to be a wild it's for, card, it's, essentially. It's for pride and sponsorship yeah, at this he'll point. Be, he'll be essentially a free agent in, 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 in that sort of championship battle. He can do what he wants, and uh, he's Valentino, so he often does. Um, so, um, 
it's going to be so fascinating. If Valentino Rossi does return before the end of this season and is out of championship contention, how does he approach the remaining races? Because, of course, Yamaha are still going to have a horse in this three-horse race. Valentino Rossi is going to have Andrea Vizioso, who we know he gets on very well with and is a compatriot of, and Mark Marquez, who fits into neither of those categories, uh, who will also be fighting for the World Championship. So where will Valentino Rossi's allegiance lie? Because he's probably going to play a role, as you say, in who wins this championship, and it ain't going to be him. Um, so uh, so that's going to be a fascinating subplot now, if it needed any more subplots to this championship battle um, as we get into the final few races of the season. That brings us to the end, then, of episode 28 of Bike Layer Fiona Sport, Motorsport 101. Episode 29 will return next week. Watch this space in terms of what's going to happen on it, because as you may have noticed, there is nothing happening this weekend. So we may well have to improvise with next week's show, but watch this space on that. We'll bang our heads together and come up with a plan uh, for next week. Before then, though, episode 102 uh, of Monosport 101. It's going to be even trickier now with every week that passes, Dre, for you to introduce these shows. As you say, welcome to episode 102 uh, of Motorsport 101. There's too many syllables. I, I, too many like syllables and um, probably too many uh, Mercedes drivers on podiums to talk about next weekend because, of course, it is Monza coming up. <laughs> uh, Spa gave me hope, yeah. damn it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, well, and, and hope... will be able to crowd surf as well a Monza on a sea of Tifosi if he wins this weekend. <laughs> They'll be building statues at Maranello if that goes down. Um, yeah, episode 102 of Most One will be next week. Well, inevitably, we're going to be talking about the Italian Grand Prix and all its delights as Lewis Abelton will probably curb stomp the field into oblivion. But hey, who knows? Maybe Seb will keep up with him again. That could be fun, right? Right. Also, there'll be a doubleheader because IndyCar is heading to Watkins Glen this weekend as well. The land of Scott Dixon and maybe Dixon's last chance to really try and reel in Joseph Newgarden with just two races to go in the championship before we get to Sonoma in the finale um, in September. And, of course, an update on the Centennial Cup, which I am still salty that Charles Leclerc got disqualified in the feature race in Belgium in embarrassing fashion. Yeah. Just when he thought he'd secured the mother of all dead certs. Ugh, why? Why, Charles? God damn you. Yeah. Can't blame Chris anyway. Cook for that one. No, no, you can't. Uh, episode 102, Motorsport 101, next week. Next week. Uh, as I say, keep an eye on all our social media channels for news uh, on our shows, both Motorsport 101 and Bike Live. It's facebook.com forward slash Motorsport 101. Uh, Twitter at Motorsport underscore 101. If you want to follow us uh, personally, by the way, at Lewis Sudderby 23 and at Harrison 101HD, at Beck underscore J93 for Rebecca James and her uh, weekly uh, travails um, in a pub, which is keeping her occupied from coming on this show. We wish her well and hope to have her back next week um youtube.com forward slash motorsport 101 where you can still find the uh stream from uh the live episode 101 uh, and indeed our interview with uh, carlos munoz from previous shows and in the coming days uh, the interview with jack harvey too uh, keep an eye on our youtube channel for that our website motorsport101.net and on patreon if you want to back us financially patreon.com forward slash motorsport101 where you can earn yourself early access uh, to motorsport101 episode 102 and bike live 29 next week until then from myself and andre harrison it's goodbye <laughs> <laughs>